Ladies and gentlemen, coming to the stage, we have Earl Sweatshirt. Uh, You be with the boys and I'ma be with the dogs Blood on the travies and service a challenge coin I'm the voice, I had to speak for the org Past the preacher, smash up weed on the organ Master teachers, actually couldn't hold me. me I was hungry, mama made the son read So I'm hunting, glancing still a peak That still didn't feed me I had to get a feel for the whole thing Peeking the orbs Speak on what I absorb, observe boundaries I found a different route to explore and run around deep I told you about the reach, you fell down and screamed That sounded me like a loss I had a bad bout with grief and I tossed a match on the kerosene Burn the ring down to ashes and memories Feather feet behind and ahead of the beat Throwing them off, arriving in the nick of time These niggas nickel and diamond I'm giving them five and sliding my way up the street Pretty penny, you my luckiest fine Skin copper, titties bouncing Save a generous slice for me Please Please save a generous slice for me Change jingling in my pocket These niggas nickel and diamond I'm giving them five pretty penny You my luckiest fine Skin copper, titties bouncing Save a generous slice for me All right, we're back in Quentin. This week we are westbound and doubling down as uh, we're going to be talking primarily about AEW and their West Coast excursion. Uh, they have been to Vegas before for Double or Nothing, but first time in LA and my first time seeing AEW live. Quentin, how you doing? I'm pretty. I'm pretty good. I <laughs> dropped my mic before we recorded. Didn't know if we were going to be able to <laughs> do the podcast, but I'm pretty. I'm pretty good with all that considered and. Yeah, uh, as you guys can probably tell, we're going to have a real, real AEW-centric podcast tonight. Yeah, that's going to be it. That's all there is to talk about right now. Um, I mean, God, the news is AEW. The shows are AEW. Everything AEW right now. Did you feel that? Because I, I, I felt that the buzz going into the show, this felt like the biggest, the most that a weekend has felt like a purely AEW weekend. The fact that there's shows booking in Las Vegas around it, indie shows dovetailing off of it. Uh, the whole vibe just felt to me like WrestleMania weekend, but it's AEW. Did you feel that? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think we're going to start getting to that point soon where like WrestleMania is obviously a big attraction thing. But it's like at some point you got to just realize that the AEW fans are probably the, the ones more likely that you'd be wanting to like go after and like you know hit your wagon to for for these for these big for these big pay-per-view events in the week in these weekends i think you get more of the kind of fans who are going to want to go to indie shows i think you have better luck booking actual aew talent on your show like we saw on the 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 last big weekend um what was it wrestlemania right like aew talent were working indies throughout the weekend uh, including John Moxley, um, and then 
you even still had the ROH show, right? Which was like an AEW thing. So I think talked about it before. AEW not having a clear standout. I've I've seen people people. I'm just so fucking sick and tired of people being so feeble, goddamn minded. It's it's. I know I'm just turning into an old man here, but it's like, I and and I understand. It's been fucking twenty years of this is how it is, and so there's people who have no idea of there being something else. But the amount of people who are like, AEW needs to have a WrestleMania. And it's like, no, they fucking don't. <laughs> Wrestling went for a very long time without there being a WrestleMania. Yeah. And re- you can have... Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like, a WrestleMania didn't always exist. Like, wrestling yeah. existed before WrestleMania won. And I think that perpetuating that concept became a negative. I think that... TNA Impact trying to have a show that they like treated like it was their WrestleMania was bad because it just made the glaring like it showed the contradictions to show that Impact TNA was not the same because they're for them right they tried to treat Bound for Glory like it was their WrestleMania right yeah Bound for, yeah Bound for Glory they would be uh, like that- that's our WrestleMania but then every year it felt like Slammiversary was the actual biggest show of the year yeah. Um, and so it would, you know, go ahead. I was I was saying that like I think that that model also gives itself to treating the wrestling all year round like it's not as important because we're only anticipating this one event uh, at this point in the year, and then everything else is just built up to that event. And I think just at, at some point it just has to devalue what the rest of the what the, what the, what the rest of your product is doing i think that just naturally happens at some point as opposed to like oh we're running here and like anything could happen anywhere it doesn't matter where we are but this thing could happen yeah exactly like you've got four big shows they've got four big pay-per-views and they can treat them all like wrestlemania weekends and you can get this same kind of buzz and this same kind of pop four times in a row now here's the other side of that this felt like going into, like I said, to me, the biggest and the most that I've ever felt like this is WrestleMania weekend, but it's AEW. The show itself and the card on paper is was one of the weakest and the least exciting to me in the, as long as I can remember. And I don't know how, how did you feel going into the, the show with all the buzz around it, but then the quality of the card? Uh, I think we, we talked about on the, on the previous podcast that we were both kind of like looked at this card and we're like, we're not okay. super excited for it, but then we, but then I realized like, yeah, but like, we're not excited, super excited for it, but then these matches, when they actually happen, are probably going to be pretty good. So I was anticipating a good card that I wasn't necessarily excited for and not to jump ahead, but I think that's exactly what I got. Like I got probably one of my favorite AW pay-per-view experiences in a little, in a little while. Cause I'm like, it was long. I'm like, wow. Like it was a, it was a pretty good show where I think mostly everything Overdelivered. Yeah. So let's talk about it being too long. Because I heard Tony Khan get asked the question. It was one of the... When you talk about, you know, people need to ask harder questions on these scrums, there was... I think it was the same person, too, or at least close to the same... Maybe not. One person did actually ask about MJF, which we'll get into that in a little bit here. Um, And he just said, I'm not going to comment or whatever, and moved on. And then... There was another question that was like the length and basically calling Tony out saying, you said you weren't going to do this. You said that you wanted to keep these shows to three hours max. Um, 
and not get the bloated WWE shows and to- and the you know the person pushed back when Tony tried to brush it off and then Tony points to business metrics um and says you know you ask for that and the fans say that they want it but then every pay-per-view is bigger and bigger now does that not feel like just the same like big corporation marvelization disney channel response to say that basically the answer here is just business metrics if we're making more money then that means we're doing the right thing not necessarily taking into account that if the fans are telling you that they want it to be shorter that maybe they actually mean it and the reason that stuff keeps growing is because people are excited for the show but every time that the show goes keeps going longer and it starts to wear on people that it might have diminishing returns at some point um i don't know but what do you think about that what do you think about the shows being too long and the response being basically even though everyone says they don't want it to be long they keep buying the shows so i'm just going to keep making them longer um i think that's something i would like i would expect better from tony and it's kind of disappointing that he would even like have that like have that kind of thing in his head that like well people keep doing it so you know there's nothing to change i do get the point of Twitter is a very vocal minority of the amount of people that are actually watching AEW and buying these pay-per-views. So comparing like the like the hundreds of thousands of pay-per-view buys AEW gets for these shows to the maybe like 10,000 people, if that, that are having that are, that are talking about these shows being too long, like I can get thinking that's just kind of like paying attention to noise that doesn't really matter. But at the same time, it's a, val- it's a valid critique. And if he cares about his product and with these in, in the ways that it seems like he does, he would listen to that critique. But I don't know. I, I think it's a it's a lazy thing that I would like expect. That I would think I will, on paper I would I would expect better from Tony regarding. But you know he's not as far removed from a Vince McMahon as people as people would like to imagine. Right, and that does kind of lead into that. You know, bragging about. Going out to dinner with Dana White, uh, just you know, be- right before the show is going to start, um, and uh, and all that, and just basically being a millionaire, being a billionaire, um, and not being your friend, and not putting on a show to make you happy, um, and all of that kind of that side of things, it's there. Um, is there any other maybe stuff that was going on leading into the show or news stuff that's not specific to the show that you want to, uh, or specifically happens during the show that you want to talk about before we get into MJF? Uh, no, I think, I think, I think I'm fine. I think that just like how easy it was to just like kind of like lump it, lump in the MJF and Samoa Joe thing together. So initially when it's happening, it's like, did fucking MJF and Samoa Joe get into a fight or something? Like, like it was like right, right, yeah. Like, but other, other than that, nah. So I think it's. I think we, I think we can get into MJF unless you have something else. No, uh, I guess the pre-show, the buy-in. Did you watch it this time? Definitely not. Definitely not. Okay, Hookhausen versus Mark Sterling and Tony Nese. It's nothing worth nothing worthwhile. It was fine. Whatever. It seems like a waste of Hook and and, but whatever. Um. So that's how we can get into MJF drama and all that stuff, and then we can talk about the match and get into the show. Now, you mentioned the no showing of the fan fest, the meet and greet, all of this, and Samoa Joe. Now, I later heard reports that Samoa Joe was not the only one. 
which is very funny because people really played people really talked out of both sides of their mouth with this whole fucking thing um the i heard people say you know oh and i heard someone legitimately say in the same breath like well samoa joe was double booked and he was supposed to do something else so he assumed he didn't he wasn't at the fan fest um and then later on say well you don't just not show up to the fan fest like about mjf so it's like okay well or you don't think that you're double booked and not show up or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, one person did do that and you just kind of blow it off. And then another person does it, does it. And it's the most unprofessional thing possible. Um, I also heard people who basically try to say, oh, you know, that's really unfair to the fans. And that's really unfair to the other wrestlers who complained that because MJF wasn't there, that then their lines got longer at the meet and greet. So then they had to stay overtime. And as I said, Samoa Joe... MJF were not the only ones who missed it because I guess there was other wrestlers who were it wasn't talked about as much who also were double booked by the same thing that Joe was double booked for which I think was like doing some voiceover stuff and didn't show up to the fan fest so I would say the reason why the uh, the other wrestlers had to stay late and had long lines wasn't just because of MJF no showing it was because of a lot of people missing it because they all thought that they were doing something else um, but none of those other people get any of the heat. None of those other people are talked about as like, oh, well, they're the reason why other wrestlers had to work overtime and deserve bullshit. Um, that said, what do you think about the meet and greet MJF not showing up to it? And like, if it was or wasn't a work, like, where do you, where do you come down on all that? I don't think it was a work. Um, I don't think it was a work. I think that cooler heads prevailed. They talked. And it was a report. And like, granted, like it came from Fightful, and you could say that Fightful, like, kind of like it's co-opted and promotes AEW storylines if you want to. And I think that'd be a fair thing to say. But I do think it was a real thing. Where do you where do you lean on it? I've, I just feel like it was real. Cooler uh, has prevailed, and they were able to talk like talk about it in some way. Yeah. But I don't I don't feel like it was an entirely out of the blue work because I just don't feel like that's that's. Tony's been doing this for three years now, going on four. That hasn't been Tony's MO at all. Yeah, I think, and I called this a few weeks back, if not a month or so back, where I said that them already planting the seeds for this MJF contract thing is really just a setup for MJF to do a Summer of Punk in 2024 when his contract's up and win the title and disappear or whatever. I That was my... Now, that timeline of things was a lot longer, right, obviously. That timeline of things, I think we get a different outcome in the main event of Double or Nothing, honestly. Um, but uh, I guess in the end, I guess it could not matter. But I do think that there is a possibility that the fan meet and greet thing and all of that was not a work. And as you said, cooler heads prevailed. And I think that we may have rushed a timeline. We may have rushed this timeline up and it was going to take a little bit longer to get here than than we ended up at but uh but you know this is where we're at now i think that that is very possible where i really come down to now though is that moment by moment i'm more and more starting to really just think this whole thing was a work from the beginning um and just none of it was ever real and right fightful sean rossap whatever i don't even blame them you know only i think that melter gets worked like crazy on this shit mm-hmm. rossap obviously does as well 
Um, I think that most of these people just take it at face value, and it's fucking sad that this is like the extent of what wrestling journalism is. But I think it's smart to really just say fuck wrestling scoops. I think a lot of us and a lot of people are too hung up on scoops. I think it's been a, a fucking bad thing for a long time. I don't care that much about scoops. Like, honestly. Um, so, yeah, like, scoops and ratings are the things that I care the fucking least about, you know, when it comes to wrestling. Um, and too many people, we spend too much time focusing on this shit. And it's a waste of time because we have so many co-opted, you know, dorks who, who now can't even get us real information. Even if you pay paying them for it, they're getting worked. So what's even the point? Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm like, I'm, uh, I'm agnostic to if the fan fest is a work or not. Everything after that point, I think is a hundred percent of work. Um, obviously I don't think there's any question that anything that actually happened on the TV show was not a work. Um, so yeah. And you get, you hear the reports where people say like, oh, and some of the boys, you know, some of the boys in the back think that it's all a work. And then some of the boys in the back think that it's all a shoot. And it's like, yeah, but you could say that about the moon landing, <laughs> the Super Bowl, like some of the boys in the back in wrestling historically think that everything's a fucking work. So they're always going to say that. So that doesn't really prove anything. Um, so yeah. Airplane, I think airplane was a work. I don't think that was maybe maybe there was a ticket bought, but I think the, that might have even been part of the work. I think it's kind of crazy, um, especially because that story just comes a hundred percent from Sean Rossap, who claims to have a, an outside source that gets him flight information, which is just weird to even yeah, that's, that's very, talk about. Yeah, that's very specific. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that usually that person is following, you know, WWE stuff, I guess. Um, so, yeah. Either way, that shit's weird. Um, do you have any more stuff you want to talk about the MJF drama before we get into the match? I mean, I guess we can. I think that, like, one, I think that I think that this match was going to was, was laid out this way anyway, because I yes. think that's just what made sense. So, yes, but I do think that. Well, should we just tie everything MJF into this, like. Thing that we're gonna do so we should talk about the promo talk about the match like we should do like should we do, sure. do all that in one, in one go sure. sure and get it out of the way yeah so uh let me just go to the match then i think that the match was was laid out was laid out this way anyway because i think that's just made sense story-wise mjf is a heel heels heel uh that doesn't care about looking cool so i think that like he knew this doesn't this make sense for the story this is what they've been building up to he's been uh, whipping, whipping Wardlow, emasculating Wardlow, humiliating Wardlow, all type, all types of stuff for however, for however many years now. So this was his time to show ass, and he did. And I think that no matter what had happened previously in the in the, in the pre in like the previous 24, 24 hours, that this was the match that was laid out, and I don't think it was in any way laid out in a way to punish Wardlow. I mean, punish MJ, MJF in the form of getting squashed by Warblow. I think that's just what made sense for the story. It was yeah. the best way to get Warblow over. Uh, that's what I have there on that front. I liked it. I liked the total package of it. I liked the Love way, that, I, I liked the way they, uh, the, the way they presented it, the way they paced it. They even like made it engaging when we, when once Warblow hit that first power bomb, we knew it was over, but, it, but they still kept it engaging. Even with MJ, yeah, pretty much being a broom at that point being lifeless yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I think that was testament, that's a testament to how well they booked it and how engaging Wardlow is 
even like working those kind of squash type of matches that he just has that person that has a big personality and yeah I, I i love the total package of this for sure yeah i thought that this was executed perfectly like you said there was enough the cat and mouse stuff in the beginning was good i thought that mjf did i actually liked you know mjf's you know going for the uh you know biting the eyes going for the eye poke ends up with the doing the rana which i even loved using the rana as a tease to like he messed up his knee because he's not athletic and he doesn't do stuff like that ever so it would make and then they, but none of them buy it pulls out the ring bryce takes the ring right off the finger that was perfect you know what i mean like even that part was perfect and then yeah once it's settled in and it's over wardlow's just chewing scenery being being completely wardlow uh and just uh just going over the top with the power bombs and the crowd going crazy and 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 stepping you know stepping off on the pin and the post match um yeah phenomenal stuff from top to bottom um that said i mean the follow the follow-up unfortunately the 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 promo at dynamite and the wardlow follow-up as well on dynamite i think is something to talk about but uh yeah i mean feel free to continue on with your uh, mjf talk there after the match um so, in regards to the content of the promo, I want to like oh, from a theatrical aspect, I want to give MJF credit for how great it was. Like he felt like Ric Flair at some points. Like it felt like watching a Ric Flair promo. I was like, wow. Like I would have never like thought I would get that from him. But like you know how angry and like psychotic Flair would get at points. I got I got that from MJF at points during during the. Um, during that promo on Dynamite. From a content standpoint... I can't can't remember if I made this comparison before. I thought I did, but, like, the MJF to Shane Douglas thing. Yeah. And, like, Shane Douglas was doing a amped-up, modern-day Ric Flair vibe a lot of times on his promos. That's why, I mean, it's the funny thing about Douglas, you know, and and his feud with Ric Flair is how much he was influenced by Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, same same thing with Austin, where it was like both of them ended up having this fucking giant chip on their shoulder because they met the guy and, and didn't like him in real life, but were huge fans of his coming up. Um, and Austin obviously put that to bed and, and Douglas did not. But, yeah, you can definitely see that the Shane Douglas, Ric Flair, you know, by way of Shane Douglas kind of vibe to the promo for sure. So content wise. I think it's very fascinating and opens doors to a lot of possibilities that are super interesting if they can be executed right. Because nothing MJF said was wrong. And he's saying, from day one, I've had a microscope on me. That's true. We were there, we were there when AEW started, and MJF was one of the first signings and how integral MJF has been since day one. We remember MJF and Cody being closely aligned and everyone was waiting for MJF to turn on Cody and how big of a thing that was early on in Dynamite's history. Remember the MJF Cody program. We, re- we, re- we, remember all- we remember all these different feuds MJF has been a part of. MJF Jericho, MJF Moxley, MJF Darby, all this. Like, we, we, re- we remember all this. The pinnacle, everything. We remember all this stuff that, is, that has happened. And when MJF came in at, what, like 23 years old, he was thrust directly into the spotlight and had ex- and had expectations put on him and has done nothing but step up and deliver in pretty much every way imaginable. And if we're taking it at face value when thinking that it's coming from, re- from real life frustrations, 
yeah, I totally get the guy being like, I get that it's a, I get that it's a couple years away, but what the fuck, man? I, I talk money with me now. You see, you see me as one of your future guys, right? You see what I've done for you already. Like my numbers, my numbers and impact is tangible. I deliver every time you ask me to, no matter what the spot is. How come we? How come me and you don't talk numbers? How come me and you don't figure this thing out? Because I want to be here. Like, I think it, it comes from a real place of not that I want to like go out and check the waters, but I want to be here. Treat like you should approach me as a guy that wants to be here and value me that way. So I think it's a I think it's super interesting from that standpoint as far as the content and the doors it opens. With CM Punk, we'll talk about CM Punk in a second when we go when we run down the show. But this is three straight feuds, well, pretty much since Punk has come in. But like multiple feuds where people have said the same same exact thing about Punk in very in different forms: Kingston, MJF, and Hangman. And clearly, MJF doesn't mention Punk directly in this promo when he talks about you're hoarding the money just to give it to XWWE guys. Obviously, one of the people that's going to come to mind is a CM Punk, and. I think that this opens the po- opens the possibility of we saw how the MJF punk punk match ended at Revolution, like it, it was a, it wasn't it wasn't the cleanest win that a babyface could get, so that leaves room for that to be revisited in the future, and I think it just makes a super interesting thing that could happen in the future of kind of an AEW Originals versus the superstar hotshots. That have piggybacked off the, but that have come in and quote unquote piggybacked off of AEW, and that feels like that's where we could be headed, and I think that's a very interesting possibility. But I think that the beauty of the promo and the beauty of MJF there is that I don't know where this will go, but I'm just interested to see it happen no matter what. But what were your takeaways from the promo? I feel, I won't say, like, I hated the promo, but I feel like I'm on an island somewhat in the people who are, like, over the top for the delivery. Um, Some of that might be tainted by, uh, like, the live, being live in the building kind of thing for it. Oh, yeah, you Um, you were live for that. So that's a different different experience that you had. Yeah. I watched it back, and, like, this is a weird thing, but I feel like they kind of edited the crowd a lot um because i remember in the building like from the second he came out the crowd was like the crowd cheered him when the music hit then there was a lot of booze when he said he was in pain there was an insanely giant pop and the crowd like cheering and and were super into him being in pain and then after that when he was talking for the first like three or four minutes there was a loud shut the fuck up chant that on the tv version that i watched it was like only a cut like a second or two and it was really quiet there was like a really fucking loud shut the fuck up the whole building was chanting shut the fuck up and it was for a long time and he kept talking and talking and talking during it so that also maybe affected my appreciation of it live but it was like yeah like the crowd was just going crazy so i feel like they muted the crowd noise a lot and they really like changed it a lot um to where watching it on tv i don't know it felt even more like they're trying to actually position it as a babyface turn even more so than what was really going on in the building which is interesting 
because that does make it feel like okay they like they want this to be a babyface thing um which is funny because if it involves cm punk versus mjf it's even more of mjf just like really mirroring the cm punk career because i'm thinking about ecw with the fucking the you know the extremists versus the new blood in ecw and punk being involved in that right like he ended up turning and being on the side of the ecw originals because you know he was cool um but like it's kind of the same thing going on again here um which is just it's very funny uh that said i mean the promo made sense in a lot of ways, but to me, the promo felt like what it was set up for that made the most sense. And hopefully, this is where we're going because now we're seeing, I'm seeing tweets that make it seem like maybe, but it could also just be someone just tweeting because it's fucking Twitter. But like when he's talking about from the beginning, the 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 spotlight was on me, the microscope was on me. I mean, this guy was like the 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 MLW thing, like all of that from the beginning where they they had to buy out his contract special and get like this deal through mlw and let him work both for a while until they finally let him go and all this and compare that to eddie kingston who i just think eddie kingston has proven to be just as good as mjf when it comes to promos yeah we could talk about the ratings and and the fact that this promo lost you know after this promo the the ratings dropped off on tv and i don't know and then Eddie Kingston's segment turned around and grew grew numbers later in the show, and he wasn't even having a match. Um, and that Eddie Kingston's matches, I think, and he ends up having better and better matches. And I even say on this show, on Double or Nothing, you have Eddie Kingston in an all-time match that I think will become legendary in the history of the company. And Eddie's in it, and Eddie has the mo- one of the moments that stands out the most and the meme and all that stuff. And then the other side of it is, sure, from the beginning, MJF's under the microscope but mjf is also on tv mjf is focused mjf gets the time mjf has flops eddie's on fucking dark eddie's thrown together in random stables that don't mean anything and then out of nowhere are canceled and he has to move things around and then go back and forth from being you know feuding with proud and powerful to teaming with proud and powerful and the whole way through he makes every bit of it work so i just think when you've got the the stuff that mjf is saying here and complaining and saying he deserves more money, I'm just thinking, okay, this is a great way to set up a feud for Kingston because Kingston can say, what the fuck are you talking about? You're complaining because they want you to be better than you are. Meanwhile, they want me to not exist. And I'm just so yeah. fucking good that they can't ignore me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I just, that's what I'm saying. Then I see Eddie tweeting the stuff that he's tweeting and I just go, okay, maybe that's where they end up because he's calling him out, just basically saying, shut the fuck up. You know, get over yourself. And if you don't want to be here, leave. You know, that's it, perfect. But it's also just Eddie, so it could just be him just tweeting it for fun. It could but that's what it I could, was thinking. It could be for sure. I think that, like, what makes it interesting, though, is, like, it's a great perspective, but ultimately MJF wouldn't be, like, if we're taking it, like, in, like, applying, like, whatever, like, real-life morals and feelings to it, the MJF wouldn't be upset if he didn't want to be there. Like, that that he, that it wouldn't like affect him and hurt him so much or offend him so much if he didn't care about being there so much. So uh, like on top of what the fact that MJF and Eddie really haven't interacted much at all in uh in Eddie Simon and Eddie Simon AEW, it's perfect. Like that is yeah. perfect must see television, no matter what they do. So I'd be super into that if that was 
uh, possibly the next story. Um, we'll see where it goes because Eddie came out on Dynamite and was challenging yeah. the Jericho Appreciation Society to to, uh, to, a, to a blood and guts match. So that uh, that may that may be a hold up here. But I also think MJF could like also just skate by on like not really wrestling for a little bit too. He I think could be I... suspended, right? He could be out suspended in trouble for for what he did, you mm-hmm. know. So until the pro, until the the feud's over, who knows? I mean, yeah. again, this is like starting. To get and, and, the, and then and then, then they and then they've done blood, they did the blood and gut, blood and guts match on TV last time. So right, like so that so we'll see we'll see when they wind up scheduling it. But yeah, I think I I really like your idea of this pivoting to more towards a MJF versus Eddie thing. Yeah, that's to me. That's just what makes sense because I just again and like him complaining that oh you know the microscope is on me and it's like yeah Eddie doesn't even have the microscope on him. They kind of want him to just not even be there. It seems sometimes with the way that they treat him, he's like such an afterthought. Um, and and you're gonna complain about getting too much attention. Meanwhile, this guy's getting not not enough attention. And and again, as I said, I think you know I put out this tweet and it got like a ton of engagement because I think a lot of people agree with it except for like one or two random weirdos one of which was like arguing about like kayfabe stuff saying like he hasn't won any championships but to me at this point three years into the company Eddie Kingston's in the MVP of AEW and no, part no, of it no, is no, not no, just no, wait, wait, like what the fuck are you talking about kayfabe stuff? it doesn't it doesn't matter yeah. here like we know yeah. like Eddie Kingston's been like been consistently part of some of the best stuff on AEW programming since he's been there like yeah yeah, exactly. And my point on top of that is that, like, I think that if you compare him to someone like MJF, because that was really in my mind, I think the comparison I'm making um, is, like, MJF doesn't have the matches. He has good matches, but doesn't have the, the stuff that's legendary that stands out that Eddie Kingston already has. Stuff like the Jericho match and the and the, uh, and the uh, uh, anarchy in the arena. And there's probably more stuff the punk, that I can the punk list match. off. But the punk match obviously yeah that's a good one to even the moxley match like mm-hmm. there's a ton of stuff but he's also got overcoming so much bullshit booking every time every time you know that's the stuff oh the miro match fuck eddie and miro was great um but yeah like and then again like i said even on top of that it's not just that he's got i think the better matches but that he's every time he's overcoming even worse booking and booking that that max would never just never gets max gets the best booking Max gets treated, you know, in catered to the whole way through. And does he do a good job with it? Most of the time. But you know what Eddie doesn't have? Eddie doesn't have uh, the fucking singing dance song fucking party or whatever it was. The show singing show tunes with Jericho. You don't have anything like that for Eddie Kingston. But you do have that for MJF. So that's why I say, like, he's also he's also got a flawless record as opposed to MJF who's got some stuff in there that's a little shaky. So I just... Uh, I just see that comparison, and I just think like, yeah, like <laughs> this guy's out here complaining, and he wants more money, and he's saying he's the king of ratings and all this. But you turn around and you, uh, and you look at someone like Eddie, who's just keeping his head down and, and just doing more consistent, better work. But that's not the point of all this, right? The point is MJF, and he said a naughty word, and he called uh, uh, TK Tony Khan a mark, right? And and a gets fuck, cut a, off a, fuck, and, a fucking mark. Yeah, fucking Mark, and says that he should be out in the crowd with all the losers like us who were there, <laughs> right? And people are cheering for that, which is, I think, very funny. Because um, you said, you know, super, the delivery super, was, super, was loud, super loudly for that, too. Like, like yeah. got, the crowd, got the crowd to fever pit in a fever pitch for that. <laughs> yeah, they were into it, man. They were loving it. Um, and I will, I'll give this, like you said, the, the delivery was really good. I, I, I think the delivery was very good. 
Uh, I think that I think I don't think that I I don't dislike it, but I feel like I'm lower on it than a lot of people. Um, the content of the promo again, like, didn't work for me because I didn't think it was a word or a shoot at any point. But I will say there was a person sitting next to me, and I heard him try to like talk to his uh, his you know whoever he was there with his partner or whatever, and uh, and say like, oh man, that's crazy. I don't know if it's real or fake right like yeah this person was buying into it like it was possibly a shoot so i mean fuck okay i guess it worked and then um when when the when the guy was just sitting there he asked well what do you think about the mjf thing and i couldn't i wanted to be nice but i was just like oh it's a work <laughs> like of course it's a work i don't i'm not i don't want to shit on your thing man and he's like yeah yeah they wouldn't let him talk that long if it was if it was a shoot right right and i was like of course, in my mind, I'm just like, man, that's like barely the tip of the iceberg on it. Like, I know people, like, other people like it's like, but that's the thing. It's work shoot. Like to me, like yeah, work shoot. And why I said what I said is like, you weave in real life feelings and emotions, but you can work it and present it and present it on television and try to keep that same level of authenticity or realness to it, while everyone is still clued in on what's happening. It's a work shoot. So like, yeah, to me. Again, whatever MJF and TK's thing is, I think is real. MJF's frustrations, everything, I think are very real. Now, has like MJ? That's not. This is not the first time MJF has mentioned whatever contract stuff. He's mentioned it several times in interv- interviews, podcast interviews, magazine interviews, all that type of stuff. He's mentioned the contract thing before. So this is a thing that that's always pre- like prevalent in MJF's media runs. So. Is this a long building thing that they were that they were clued into, and um, this this is a long term goal to get to and work this kind of story? I don't know. That's very possible. That's extremely possible. But I also just I don't know. I think that is I think that it's like a thing that I can see someone being legitimately frustrated by. So I'm leaning to more towards like like. More than it just being a work, that's why I'm leaning more towards like the work shoot aspect. That there is valid, real, genuine feelings here. Uh, yeah, there's definitely something to it. Um, I think that's true, but I think that wrestling at its best is like a work shoot, right? Like wrestling at its best. That's the point. Is that you? You're not just like everything is not just fake, but there is some degree of realness to it. Um, the problem with like the work shoot concept is when you get into like kind of the Russo era thing, where you're being you're focusing too much on the shoot part and not enough on the work part, which is like that you're constantly like referencing how everything else is fake. And you know he even kind of did it where he said this is Max Friedman talking or whatever, and it's like, well that's kind of okay because that's his just his real name, you know. But at the yeah. same time, it's like. You know, it's that thing where you're doing like, oh, he's he's shooting, brother, and you know, yeah, it, it, it's like CM Punk, it, Steve. It's like it's like CM Punk being like, this is Phil Brooks talking to Paul Levesque. Like, it's yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and that's missing the point. Like, you don't need to do that. What you, you need, need to do yeah. is the shoot, the shoot, the shoot needs to be the emotions, as you said with MJF, and not the like. Let's just focus on calling out the fake shit. No, just just be real but be in character and that's the best that's the wrestling at its best um so yeah to me i mean i think that pretty much everything every i am a hundred percent that everything is a work after the um 
no showing the the thing the the meet and greet and i'm even like agnostic on the meet and greet as i said but yeah i think this is I just all, think, I, just, all I, I think someone who said before it's like mjf gets advertised for that kind of stuff and like people like you know you don't, you don't know who's paying money to go see who and shit like that like so yeah. for me i'm like just from like a company investment promoting a product standpoint yeah like i don't think they i don't think they'd work that i don't th- i don't i don't think so yeah i don't think that they would rip off the fans that way even if it is like you said card subject to change right blah 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 but i just think that that's a dumb move if that ever comes out that's going to look really bad um and i just again and i also said that and like i said i think that this storyline was meant to happen and you said he's been teasing it this whole time i think that's intentional but I think that they're rushing the timeline along because of this happening, and they're like, "Fuck it, let's pull the trigger and do it now." Yeah, I think especially because the merger and all that. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that, like they were getting into. I think they're getting into probably what happened. Like I think that it was too good of an opportunity to pass up because of real life frustrations happening and becoming public knowledge. Like that, this might have been a thing that they were planning for twenty twenty three. Uh. Or 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 around that time, and that with it happening, probably over that stuff, over the contract details, over a contract extension, that it was just like hard to not see the opportunity there. Once everyone calmed down, like okay, everyone knows about it. I guess we should just do it now. Yeah, that's the only thing that makes sense to me. And like I said, it's it's good timing because they're dealing with. The merger uh, from the the discovery merger, and they need to possibly try to heat things up, right? Try to be try to be uh, try to be as hot as they can going into going into the um, into this whole thing, so that the, the 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 new corporates owners will be interested in in pushing the company and partnering with them. So, yeah, let's get some buzz off of this. Now, the question is: Is there going to be some buzz off of this? Because, like I said, ratings popped, but ratings popped off of the opening of the show. CM Punk, the new champion in a trios match, the announcement of Tanahashi, and then leading into MJF's promo, and then coming out of MJF's promo, ratings are down in the next quarter hour. So, is that... Sorry, excuse me. Jesus, that's terrible. Um, Is that... (laughs) It didn't work? Is that people tuning out after the promo because nothing oh, obviously nothing else is going to happen tonight that's the biggest thing i don't need to see anything else or is it i don't want to see work shoot bullshit turn this off what does it mean is this working is this not working is it gonna work what's the what do you how do you feel on that um i think to, i don't know like i can totally see like i think most i think there's people that weren't tuning in and saw MJF was 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 coming on and was like, oh, let me like I want to tune into that, just hearing whatever was going on through the grapevine. And I think that that segment was so strong that you know we're not expecting to see MJF again during the show. And Punk was already and Punk Punk already happened. Um, I think yeah. your big your biggest draws for the show had already appeared by that point. So I that I would chalk oh, it up to that. I, I I'd be fine chalking it up to that more so. I think. I will say that my urge in the building, because, you know, I'll get into like the show in general, but after that promo, my initial instinct was like, I might as well just leave. Nothing else is going to happen. 
And that's kind of my, a lot of times my instincts at wrestling shows is to just leave early. Um, but yeah, so like when that happened, I was kind of like, oh, I could just get, the, I could just get out of here. But you know, a big part of that too is because I, I don't know, I guess I could wait, whatever. I haven't been to like this kind of wrestling show in a very long time. Right. And there's a reason for that. It's not my kind of thing. So once I was to that point and I had already been there because they taped dark before, um, I was kind of like, ah, you know, I could, I could leave now and nothing else is going to happen, especially because I'll be able to watch the matches better on TV than I will be able to, you know, sitting here. Right. And, you know, and on top of that, like, um, knowing that like, yeah, they made the announcement for the forbidden door. After the promo cuts off and they go to commercial, CM Punk came out and kind of chased MJF out of the arena. He came out, like, towards him, and MJF jumped over the barricade and ran out through the crowd. So I'm like, well, they're not going to do any more special stuff for the live crowd only. You know what I mean? So I'm kind of like, that's the only live crowd only shit that's going to happen. So I'll be able to just see everything else on TV. Another thing I found out was that a lot of backstage shit, they don't play it in the arena, or at least they didn't that night. So we weren't, I wasn't seeing the interviews and stuff that were going on backstage or the segments that were going on backstage, which was very odd. Um, so yeah, I was kind of like, ah, eh, you know, I could get out of here, but either way, um, so I could definitely see that being why people turned out. Do you have any more thoughts on that kind of side of things? Uh, no, I think, I, I think I'm, uh. I think I'm on MJ, MJ right. at this point. I don't know if you, I thought you have more. Wardlow. Like, yeah, let's talk, let's talk about Wardlow. Um, so part of me is conflicted here because I do think that the people that are interested in the MJF storyline and the people that are interested in Wardlow don't necessarily have to like take away from one another. Um, I think that the more nerdy dirt sheet if you want to use that term like scoops and twitter stuff people are obviously more interested in in, in the mjf thing but the casual watcher that's been like or like not i'm not gonna say casual watcher but like the person that's not super in tune with what's going on on twitter or the internet or the internet really and like into the same circles of twitter that we might be in like they see they see wardlow wardlow beat mjf Warlock then came out, squashed another guy, and powerbombed some more people. Warlock is still doing Warlock things, and nothing is being taken away from. But I think the dissonance that happens because MJF comes out and he's not selling the effects of the match that could be a bit of a nitpick. Not that it affects Warlock much. MJF and Warlock are done with each other. They will have nothing to do with each other for a while. But I think even if MGF has sold the aspect of it a little bit of the match with a limp, a neck brace, something, then I think for the nerds like us, it wouldn't feel like they completely discredited or ignored this whole storyline. So I don't necessarily buy that it affected Wardlow in any kind of way for MJF to just go straight into this like new hot role right after Wardlow's big win. But I think what I could see bothering people like me and you is, well, MJF didn't really even bother to sell that 
situation. Yeah. Yeah, no, that hurt. I definitely think that that hurt it. Um, he even teased it and then just completely uh, blew it off, which I thought was kind of bullshit. Um, but one thing I will say, and this is from the live experience, and I don't know that um, that this is how it always is, but this is how it was for us in the building here, is that, they, like I said, they weren't showing us backstage stuff on the screens. And there was a weird thing that they did where every time they came back from commercial, they would do a countdown. And every live show I've gone to, when they do a countdown, it's like, okay, you know, whatever, countdown, now fucking be hot, go crazy, stay hot, whatever. But they were doing it, and then as soon as Justin Roberts finished the count, it would just be nothing. And a lot of times, going back and watching the TV version, I see that it's because... They would do a countdown, okay, we're back live, and then once they were back live, they were showing something on TV that we weren't seeing. So then there was this time in between where people just lost their steam. So everyone was hot, okay, five, four, three, two, one, we're back live, everyone's going fucking crazy. And then we're just, then it's like, okay, okay, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, and everything just died. Um, and going back and looking just to double check what happened here, and I saw... I didn't know Ace Steel was working for AEW. He comes out during the um, the Jade segment here, and I didn't realize he's uh, he's working backstage there. So that's cool. But what I saw is okay. So what they did for us is JD Drake came out. They basically everyone knew that meant he was wrestling Wardlow. Everyone started doing the Wardlow chant, the Goldberg Wardlow Wardlow. It was going for a long time. Then it was clear okay we're on commercial because they black they darkened the ring. Then eventually they get back to the countdown. They say, okay, we're back live. Five, four, three, two, one. Once they said we're back, the crowd is going Wardlow. They're doing the Wardlow chant. They're going fucking crazy. And then we're just sitting there waiting because we didn't see the video that they showed to, on TV of Wardlow walking up. So we were just like, okay, five, four, three, two, one. You guys are ready to go. It's completely silent because Wardlow doesn't have music. So they didn't start playing his music. We're not seeing anything on TV. They're showing Wardlow walking from backstage, but we don't see it. So then by the time he finally came out, the crowd had now popped and started chanting for Wardlow two different times to just get deflated. So the crowd was fucking done. They were over it. So then when Wardlow came back, it was hard for the crowd to get back into it. So eventually they did, but the crowd was hot for Wardlow when they first thought that they were going to get him. And then the second time that they thought we were going to get him, we were hot for Wardlow and everyone was going crazy. So then when it was finally the third time and Wardlow comes walking out, the crowd was fucking done. They already had popped twice for this guy. So it was just kind of, that was like the TV thing and it kept happening the whole night. And I think on TV, the crowd seemed pretty hot, but if this stuff hadn't kept happening, I think that the crowd would have been even hotter, but they repeatedly did this. They would just be like, okay, we're, we're, we're back, we're back live in five, four, three countdown and then countdown and then nothing, just silence and nothing on the screens and nothing going on. And it happened multiple times and it was just, it was the oddest fucking thing. And like I said, I haven't been to a big wrestling show in an arena in a very long time. And even when I used to go to them, I would go to pay-per-views. So I've never really been to a TV to see what this is like. But it's it's just, when I would go to pay-per-views, it was not like this. They would count you down, then you're in, you're in. And then that's going. And everything's going. And then you saw everything. If it was happening backstage, you'd see it on the screen. And you were in it, and you were in the show. This just kept being fucking awkward. And it made the crowd like keep losing heat over and over again. So... I don't know that I think Wardlow is ruined. I do think that it would be very funny for this to be a fucking political thing. And that MJF is like, oh, okay, like now it's going to look like Wardlow just completely flopped. Because as soon as I put him over, now his segments aren't doing good. And every, all the heat is on me. Um, 
So obviously I was carrying Wardlow this whole time. I think that would be funny. I don't think that that's the case though. I think I think people are still hot for Wardlow, but I just think that this was done really awkwardly. It was. It was handled super awkwardly. You like we don't have to. I think we don't have to lean. We don't have to lean super heavy into the Goldberg thing anymore. Sure. And I think that is just you know maybe cool it on maybe cool it on that, especially if you're going to do an awful job of presenting it in the arenas. Like that's kind of the whole thing. Is like yeah, you see him and you see him and you're anticipating him. And all that kind of stuff. And if that, and if you're not even doing that, then what's the point? Yeah, yeah. The whole the walk up and all that. The fact that we didn't see it—that's ridiculous, you know. And that it's silent because Go- even Goldberg had music and fireworks. Yeah, so yeah. the crowd had something yeah, that, to be yeah, engaged. Yeah, 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 that's the thing. Like, have some kind of build up in Warlow's theme or something, but complete silence. No, like you heard the Goldberg, like you heard, like you heard that, like. While he was still going through the back, getting 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 uh getting fetched by security. Yeah, yeah, I saw Goldberg live like two or three different times, and yeah, the music starts playing, and then they would start doing the fireworks, the big sparklers, like instantly. So you had fireworks, you had music, and that was like it. And then, like I said, you'd also see it because they would show you the security getting him and walking, and you were just it was just a chance to get more and more hyped. So the crowd was just going fucking crazy. Here, like I said, the crowd did it two different times. They were ready to get into it. They were doing the whole thing. But then it was just nothing going on. So people just gave up. Like, yeah, fuck it. Whatever. I guess it's not happening. You know? And they just kept doing that. So it was just like, yeah, whatever. I guess we're done. So, yeah. I just, uh, I think that that definitely really hurt it. Um, Moving on from MJF Wardlow. (laughs) Young Bucks uh, Hardy Boys. Now, you are the Young Bucks defender, right? You're the, the number one Young Bucks boy uh, above Case Low. Um, actually, can I ask you a quick question? Good. Um, Shun Skywalker, wrestler of the year. Is that a reasonable opinion to have? I haven't seen any Shun Skywalker in 2022. I'm not, I'm not like I have either. Because uh, okay. Dragon has been like... A, a company in 2022 with Kai as their champion is just hard That's for tough. me to... It, it's hard for me to... And, and I yeah. don't have an issue with Kai. You're just you're asking you're asking a lot of me at that point. Asking the wrong guy. Asking the wrong guy. Okay, because I heard Case say that on Open the Voice Gate, and I wasn't sure if that was just Case Brain or if that's like legit. Uh, but it seems very odd. It seems very Case. It seems very Case Brain, but I also haven't seen any Dragon okay. Gate so far this year. So, I once I once I do that, then I, I'll make sure to get back to you. Yeah. Okay. Hardys versus Young Bucks. Um, did you see the the Young Bucks do the new brood entrance as the as the Hardy Boys and <laughs> I did. have Gangrel? Uh, I that did. was pretty great. That was awesome. I like that. Yeah. What did you think of uh what did you think of this match on the pay-per-view here? This is a fun this is a fun little thing. Like now, honestly, I think we're really getting to the point where the Hardys neither of them should be wrestling. Um yeah. it felt super apparent in this match. Um, but I thought that the Bucks, this was like masterclass Bucks, I think, and being able to work around their limitations. And it's, I think, one of the things I would highlight when people talk about the Bucks is you could talk about the flips and the over over the top goofy goofy stuff, but that works when you have super limited opponents like the Hardys in this point in time, and they know how to turn on the goofiness turn on the stick in order to keep the crowd interested and engaged. They know how to lay in the heat and get more aggra- and get more aggressive and mean. And they, and they're really, and they're really good at that, fin- at that finishing stretch stuff and bumping and selling and taking all the crazy spots that 
you know that all the that's all the Hardys really have left. That's all Jeff has left. Uh, so I thought this was super fun for what it was, and for me, a feather in the cap kind of match for how malleable the Bucks are, because this is a very, really, really limited opponent they worked with. Uh, a match that could have been super dry and boring, despite the names of the individuals involved, but it still worked because the Bucks have such big personalities. They have such great understanding of fundamental heel work that they were able to take these guys who really shouldn't be wrestling at this point and still, and still get a super fun match out of them. Yeah, definitely. uh, In that conversation of that kind of carrying thing, it's, it's, it's something to think about, you know, because uh, people, might people might take it weird like jr saying like you know the the hardys are the the tag team of their generation and the bucks are the tag team of their generation and and you can debate it and say whatever and it's funny because both teams kind of have a, a a trio of tag teams that you can compare them to like there's three tag teams that are in that that are really in that conversation right um for that generation you got edge and christian the dudley boys and the hardys right that's like kind of the three teams that are thought of as part of the whole group um and then you've got like the Young Bucks, Motor City Machine Guns, and the Briscoes. And uh, I think that the Hardys and the Bucks really do fit like this middle spot of being the most creative of the three teams. Not necessarily the best at in ring, but when it comes to like telling stories, getting over, working, you know, that kind of, and, and again, being creative. And I think this is a match that really shows that off because the Young Bucks are able to, because part of being creative is figuring out a way to carry a team that's not not able to fucking go anymore physically. And they were able to do that here, as you said. Uh, then you compare it, like, Motor City Machine Guns, when it comes to, like, the flashy, like, all-over-the-place stuff, probably much better. Um, when then When you talk about the wild, chaotic, crazy brawl type stuff, Briscoes are obviously much better, but the Bucks are really creative and are able to to do like psych, like kind of storytelling psychology stuff like this, where in any situation they can always deliver, you know, a three star match, and that's like something that not everyone can do. And the Bucks have proven that they can do that night in and night out with whoever they wrestle. They can like deliver. I wouldn't say this is a three star match, honestly, but you know they're still able to get they're able to get there for the most part. It's like it's like a, it's like a three it's like a whatever match but it's like an amazing bucks performance you know what i mean like yes. it's a performance yeah. it's a performance better than like than, than like the sum or the total they want they the, the, that they wound up having because the hardy are just what they are at this point they really shouldn't be on tv they should no, not be they be they should they should not be wrestling it felt super glaring here but the performance the bucks had making making this work is one of the most impressive things the bucks have done in a while yeah and I, I I tweeted this one out, but goddamn, like seeing Christian teaming with the Bucks and being like, he is still able to go just as good, if not better than ever, um, just really shows that like it's not about taking a bunch of big bumps, man. It's about taking care of yourself outside of the ring. Yeah. And the Hardys just did not do that. You know, mm-hmm. they just, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, it's not just wrestling, guys. Like I know people want to believe that like wrestling is just this bad for you, but. There's some people who do it forever no, it, and some people who don't. Yeah, it's not it's not just the wrestling. It's never just the wrestling. It's yeah. The wrestling and then whatever like things you're going through emotionally and how you're co- and how you're coping with them in the form yeah. of other things that will that affect the body. It's not 
just the wrestling. Like, if you go through any of the history of people who had really broke, who had broken down really badly, however, like, it was never just wrestling. Yeah. For the most part. Obviously, there's freak accidents and stuff like that, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking about, like, the, like, the real, like, breakdowns, quote-unquote, sad stories over the years. Like, you can go through them all. It's never just been the wrestling. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, follow this up. TBS title match. God damn, this was fucking stinky. I hated it. <laughs> it was so bad. Like, and here's the fucked up part. Like, it's not just... It wasn't... It wasn't Jade. Like, people can say whatever the fuck they want, and, like... People were upset that Jade was on the show. I even saw that, and I thought it was fucking insane. Because I'm just like, no, Jade is a gigantic star. Yeah, Jade's a star. She should be on the show. Like, they just give her, like, weak opponents for the most part. Jesus Christ. What was this? I don't know what it is with the opponents they give give her. But at the same time, it's like, they still kind of got the crowd into it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, like I said, Jade is fucking over. She's a gigantic star. The crowd needs to see her. I think she has to be on the show or else you're going to feel like you're cheated and you're not really getting an AEW show if it doesn't have Jade on it at this point. But, like, Anna Jay has gotten... I mean, I don't know has gotten, but there was times where she was at least passable. This is, like, first day of wrestling level awkward stuff. I mean, some of the stuff she was doing was so sloppy. Her strikes all looked just completely fake and choreographed. Like... Nothing she did looked authentic, and everything looked like she was either out of place or just not able to pull it off smoothly. It was it was really fucking bad performance from Anna Jay. It was like kind of shocking to see someone be that bad. I, I I'm with you. I think that like the thing that like saves her there is that the crowd could have turned on this match, turned their backs to it, and like got quiet during it, but they didn't. Like the crowd still stayed pretty receptive during yeah. the whole thing so it doesn't come across as badly at like to most to probably most people as it came as it came across the uh, as it came across to you uh to you i think sure. um sure that's fair so what would you think of well i think we're both gonna agree stokely and stokely with the with the baddies is like perfect oh yeah that's oh, incredible yeah. <laughs> it's perfect it's amazing yeah i'm so excited I think it's a bummer that they didn't let him talk on the first night in, but mm-hmm. and then on Dynamite he barely got to really say anything, even if it was still good. But yeah, I, th- I, I think, think eventually, is... I think eventually that he's going to want to pushing like Mark Sterling out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't even there really for that segment. You yeah. Know? So yeah, it's yeah, it's it's perfect. But I do like I do like the way that they did it, saying like Stokely saying that he was the uh, the publicist. Mm-hmm. You know, so she's got the Mark Sterling as the lawyer. She's got Stokely as the publicist. She's got her entourage. She's starting to come together, and she's like this, you know, this high level. She's a brand. Like that's what she feels. Yes, exactly. Yeah, she's a she's that brand. She's that yeah that that high level athlete who's a crossover, you know, mogul star. Speaking of mogul swerve, that segment was swerve. God damn. Either way, um, I'm happy I went back and watched the TV because that was another one I didn't see in the fucking building. Um, but yeah, no, the the. The whole vibe of that having that entourage, and it's funny because she said, you know, her entourage is kind of, kind of packed right now, and that's why there's no room for Sunny Kiss. And people are just like, I saw someone saying like, oh, how is that? And it's like, no, it kind of is. Like she kind of has way too many people satelliting around her, and she's a big enough star to where it works. But you're getting you're getting overkill when you start having way way too many people. And she and her. she's not like a heel heel either. So no. it's like 
it's so like it's not like it's so like it's not like she has a bunch of heaters around her or a bunch of like dummies to take falls for her or anything. It's just like she just she's not even like a super super heel. So, but now she's got Stokely, which is a blessing and a curse because at least he'll bring her something. Like he'll actually bring something in the act. But she's got a lot of people that are just kind of hovering around her, trying to soak up some of her her heat off of the sides. Right, <laughs> like they're just trying to get over off of her back. And now maybe the Stokely thing will help. But yeah, if they if they uh, if that works out, then I can see adding Sunny in, and then you can actually do something with all that. But yeah, I just think I think she's she's got a lot going on for her to be the only the bad, star in the group. The baddie the baddie section is full, man. Like yeah, that's I mean, hey, what maybe you, we want to dump Red Velvet, I guess. Like fine, but like uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess they could. I would take Sunny over Red Velvet, honestly, when we're talking about wrestling. But uh, either way, I guess you know. It's a. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Just wait a little bit. Get Sunny in there later, or not. We'll see. It is kind of a bummer because Sunny Kiss seemed like someone who they were going to focus on, and then they've just done nothing with. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the Janela thing. I don't. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Follow this up. Trios match. Death Triangle. Or did you have any other things to say about the match? Oh no, I'm good. Uh, well, we didn't mention Athena showing up. Oh, Athena did show up. Yeah. See, this is why there's so much fucking going on here. <laughs> like I said, she's got. She's got two fucking people in her entourage. She's got Stokely showing up. She's got a she's got like I said a lawyer and a publicist. And Athena debuts and instantly comes for her. Um, like yeah, there's there's too much too much going on with Jade, um, and especially too much for one person who's been wrestling for like two years to carry. That was that was a good one too in the scrum. Did you see uh, or did you hear this? She she said someone asked how do you think you're doing or whatever, and she said oh I uh, there was an interview with Brian Danielson where he said uh. It took him six years to feel comfortable, and she said, "I've been doing this for two, and I feel pretty comfortable, or whatever." So, you know, goddamn, she's really, uh, she's really, she's really very, very uh, proud of herself here. But uh, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot going on. Um, it's weird to have Athena go directly for her, and I know it's the TBS title, but it's hard to say that Jade doesn't feel like the top champion for the women's division right now. Uh, so yeah, it's weird. A, a weird one to have. You know, someone just debut and instantly going after the champion like that. But you know, they seem to like to do that, even though it seems to be the worst way to go about it. I think that's just the nature of how they people do have how people look at wrestling at this point is that they, someone debuts and they have to do this, like, right. So I, I, I so I don't know. Like, she's gonna lose, obviously, right. <laughs> and then like, yeah, momentum probably gets a little bit halted. So like we'll just see we'll just I'm I'm curious to see how the, how they work together though I'm I'm I'm, I'm curious how that looks. One thing I had thought about in the moment while watching the match was I know that they wanted to build up like a special thing for the thirtieth match or whatever, but like they probably should have saved Marina Shafir for this spot and actually had Jade have like a good opponent on the show, um you know but whatever. Moving on, um. Death Triangle versus House of Black. Let's kick the uh, ass. Let's kick the ass. Yeah, this is awesome. This absolutely rocked. Um, there look was look an at- opening part of it where JR said, like, this is six guys who all think that they should be at the top of the card. And he said, like, I tend to agree with them. These are, like, six thoroughbreds. And now they need to go out here and prove, you know, prove it and take the spot. And it's kind of interesting because he's not wrong. He's not, yeah, like, he that's wasn't, 100% he wasn't, true. He, was, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> Yeah, all six of these guys could be in the title picture at the top of the card, and it wouldn't be shocking. And that's kind of a crazy thing about AEW right now with the roster depth that they have, is that you've got this kind of group. 
these kind of groups and you've got six guys who could all easily be at the top of the card. I mean, Penta's not really a good wrestler, but he's over enough that he could be. And yeah, like, if you, know, if, you heat, if you if you heat it up, if you heat it up, Penta, like, yeah, he could he yeah. could challenge he could challenge for the belt. <laughs> Yeah, and then Buddy Murphy, you know, whatever people have to say about him, I'm not the biggest fan, but, like, you can't argue that he couldn't, he wouldn't make sense at the top of the card. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy to have a trios match like this that just has this much fucking talent in it, and everyone there could be at the top of the card easily. But, Quentin, f- feel free to talk about the match. Yeah, like, we talked about it on the preview, but I said, on paper, if you, like, we're not super excited for it, but look at the guys that are in this match. Like, this is probably going to wind up kicking ass, and it did. Like, this was a really good all-action trios match. All the interactions here were fucking fantastic. Like, I think Brody, like, fucking lariated Pac's head off at one point, and that was just really, really nuts-looking. At one point, it looks like... Uh, at one point, it looks like Death Triangle is about to, put, about to put away Malachi, and Malachi, like, fights them all off, and it feels, like, really cool. And I love, and I love, and I love that sequence, and Everything and everything that happened there. I loved all of the action that we got from this, all the combinations, all the pairings. Uh, I thought this was super, super fun. Um, obviously, Julia Black. I mean, Julia, not Julia Black, Julia Hart. Uh, show, yeah, show, maybe show. She's Julia Blackheart now. She could, she could be. <laughs> um, but Julia Hart shows up, and you know, in the least surprising thing ever, now she is officially a House of Black member. Uh, spitting the mist in Pac's face, and she did the mist better than Malachi has ever done it. Funny enough, <laughs> in her first time, yes. in her first time doing it, because uh, for some reason when Malachi does it, it's like super, like like it's like it's like a single stream, like like it's it's really weird. It doesn't like it doesn't have like the kind of like mist spray feel to it. Yeah, and she did it. She she nailed it perfectly. Uh, I thought this was really fun and. I'm glad that it delivered the way that it did because on paper it looked like a great match and it did end up on being one. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with everything you said there. I uh, have to give a shout out to the, the now defunct everything elite podcast, um, uh, discord server for coming up with Gulia, calling her Gulia heart when, as she was turning into the, the, the dark version of herself, because that, that's a, just a great name, uh, for, for it. But yeah, Gulia Blackheart and and maybe it's that Hart family uh, Hart family passing down uh, the secrets of the mist from the Mongolian Stomper. That's got to be it. That's why she's uh, able to do it better than anybody else uh, around or whatever. But goddamn, yeah, this is nonstop um, from beginning to end, just hot, hot action. But you know, no, no, like that's the great thing about the trios matches like this when you do them right. Um, they don't have to be like no psychology, just fucking fireworks fests because you can sell in between segments that you're involved in and you can make the stuff work. And was this like the most psychologically de- in-depth match? Well, no, of course not. But it also wasn't like absolutely no selling at any point. There was still tons of, of decent like back and forth and really cool spots. I loved, I called out before the Dante's Inferno going from Michael Dante to, to, uh, Brody King, but I like that Brody has made it his own now, and and instead of uh, going into the power slam, he did the the fire thunder driver, which is perfect. So I love that. I'm always such a fucking sucker for taking something, taking trademark stuff, and adapting it to specific people, adapting counters, adapting things like that for this specific person. I don't know why, but those little details like that are always good for me. Um, so yeah, I loved that. 
Buddy Matthews, like I said, not the biggest fan, but hey, he was right in there, and honestly, he was not the worst part of the match. And he's and he's perfect. He's perfect for these kind of spots. Like he's good for this yeah. kind of stuff. Like I don't want to see Buddy in a twenty-five minute, thirty-minute match, but for this kind of spot, he's perfect. He's perfect for perfect. this. Yeah, yeah. Buddy Matthews is like um, the uh, the best possible Shane Mercer, like Iron the Iron Demon guy. Yes, like, for sure. That's that's really what Buddy Ma- Buddy Matthews is like. Just the the peak of what that kind of guy can be, like muscle jock who just does some weird high flying shit. Like you know, obviously the the epitome of that is truthfully Scott Steiner, but he's like heavyweight gigantic. These are like junior heavyweights, you know, like mm. not really at that quite that level. But either way. Great stuff, lots of fun, and really felt like okay. Now the show is going. Now we can actually like start to enjoy this. Like the the opener was good, but it was a squash. The Hardy's Young Bucks match was a miracle by the Young Bucks, but not uh, you know nothing great. TBS match really really fucking stunk. And then we get this. Okay, now we're going. Adam Cole, Samoa Joe. I thought that this was this was actually a a solid Adam Cole match. You know, which is. Which is, uh, you know, saying something. I don't think I loved it. It wasn't, didn't, wasn't like the best thing in the world. But Joe got something out of him. But here's the thing. Didn't need to be on the pay-per-view. Didn't, you know, I get it. The only reason why it had to be on the pay-per-view is because it was for the Owen Hart Cup, right? But otherwise, this felt like a TV match. They didn't really feel like they stepped it up because they were on pay-per-view. It was good, you know? And honestly... It's kind of nice to see Adam Cole on a pay-per-view having a match and not doing NXT face, not doing epic main event. I um, I mentioned it a couple weeks back when we were talking about AJ Gray and then I brought it back up because it's really stuck with me that everyone has to wrestle like an ace and nobody just wrestles, you know, and this was like kind of Adam Cole not doing an ace match. Um, so I did kind of appreciate that. But that said, it did feel like didn't need to be on the pay-per-view. But what did you think of the match? Uh, I thought it was solid. I'm with you that it wasn't like they upped the uh, the intent the intent or or aggressiveness or intensity to make it feel like it was a big a big deal. It was solid. It was like it felt like a solid dynamite match. Uh, Joe Joe looked good. It was like it was nice to see Adam Cole in a match that wasn't you know super important. Getting him away from the main event scene and, and everything, but I'm, I'm I'm with you there. I don't really have much to say about it. I think it was just a fine match, and I think it was more interesting like the reaction to it initially, and that goes along with the Britt Baker match that we're, we're going to talk about, or or the uh, Owens uh, Women's Finals that we're going to talk about in a second. Is that initially the reaction to it? I think was more interesting than like the match itself, at least here, whereas where like I thought Britt versus Ruby, I thought they worked their asses off and they had a much better match than they had at Grand Slam and Ruby. Yeah, performed. I was going to say, just go get into it. Just start talking about this match because I know that you liked this quite a bit. So just Yeah, I thought this, I thought this, I thought this was, I thought this was pretty good, honestly. And a big improvement off of their Grand Slam match. I think that the thing with Grand Slam is how they structured that show um, and the position they got put in with Brian and Kenny opening the show and then them have, having the main event, and it just felt kind of clunky and not the best. It, was, it wasn't bad or anything, but there was things that still needed to be worked out. And I thought this was a way better version of that match without the forced Brit heel shtick 
Ruby's performing something her ribs every time she landed on her back, I thought was stellar. It's probably probably her best performance since she's been in AEW, in my opinion. So those were my big takeaways. And I thought that those two had pay-per-view level intensity when it came when it when it came to their match. Yeah, I completely agree with you on pretty much everything there. I thought that they felt insanely comfortable with each other. Their back and forth trading reversals or just trading sequences were insanely smooth. Um, the slugfest, the like kind of the, the two of them like like just duking it out and then uh, you know, Britt having that one last big final strike to put her put it down for the double down. I thought that was an insanely well done spot and back and forth strike strike exchanges like that to me can be really fucking bullshit and just come across insanely cheesy and bad um like i said these two just felt like perfect with for each other in this setting had insane chemistry with each other really smooth yeah just knocked it out of the park and like you said if they if that grand slam main event could have been like this i think that the aew's women's division has totally different feeling totally different vibe and like a lot of people talking a lot different about it um unfortunately i just think that it's weird because ruby okay so I haven't seen any negativity about Ruby and her work, but I have seen a lot of negativity about Ruby's booking, right? And and the situations that she's been placed in recently. And I just think that this was another example of like kind of something that people were, I think they were negative on the fact that she lost here. And it just, obviously it felt insanely off, like, like this is what's happening, right? Especially even the gear, I thought, I didn't think about it in the moment, but I was just like, it's so corny and it's so cheesy, but like, you know, it's the image, right? Because you're going to have the, I, you know, I didn't know when I'm thinking about it, like, oh, okay, you got, you got both of the winners are going to be wearing the fucking pink and black and white basically. But I didn't think like, oh, they're going to do the ceremony right afterwards with them standing on stage with Martha Hart. So it makes sense because you want them to look like they make sense for the Hart Foundation thing. Um, and it, I thought it was odd that you had both of the challengers wearing fucking the green and black DX colors. Like, I was very on the nose, I think, to be, like, DX versus Heart Foundation, like, very obviously. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, like, all of that just felt, like, very, very forced, very on the nose, very, like, again, bad for Ruby. She's an afterthought here. But, um, but nobody's talked really negatively about her performances, right? Like, maybe her promos are a little bit shaky, but they're not terrible. I feel like the go-home promo that she had to do was really, really a fucking just an insanely bad look for the booking and putting in her in a terrible situation that I don't think was necessarily her fault. Um, but was, you know, obviously she's part of the issue there was that she's not a great talk, like talker, but, and she got shaken up and the crowd was reacting negatively. And that's hard for someone who's not comfortable on the mic. But I think the idea that someone couldn't have predicted what was going to happen there really just, that was the biggest flaw of the situation. Um, but yeah, that said, I mean, I think we agree with the match. The post-match stuff with Martha, I thought, was executed really well. It makes you feel good to be a wrestling fan for one of those few times where you like, nice enjoy to see her, being a wrestling fan. It was nice to see her happy for once. Because every time that we've yeah. seen her, she's never been happy. Like, no. or felt happy. Every time, every time that we've ever, like, seen Martha and I feel like to me that was like okay you can complain about it was Adam Cole and Brett who won and like who like okay but at the end of the day it was who cares it's not really about 
like who won matters, but it's not really like it's not really that. Like this was a thing that got put together with Martha and her in her in her vision and with her permission and stuff like that. And if she was fine with that, then like okay, like there's like there really isn't like much that we need to talk about here, honestly. Like cool, yeah. like R- Ruby could Ruby winning would have been cool. Stat winning would have been even better. Like I'm with, like I'm with, like I'm with all of that. But at the end of the day, like this, like the intentions here aren't aren't the same as like the other general stuff that you may be like booking across 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 the board for AEW and might and may, you know maybe shouldn't be looked at the exact same way. Yeah. No. I mean. I guess the argument would just be that Ruby didn't need to be in here to lose, but mm-hmm. not necessarily that she should have won. Right. But the other thing is that she worked her ass off and delivered a really great performance for the final to make the final match feel special and important, right? So it's kind of tough to say, like, oh, put somebody else in there so that Ruby doesn't have to lose here. And it was also it was a big spot for her, and it was a lot to build up to lead. I think the problem was just that in the build-up to the match with with Chris the semifinal she just it didn't feel like she really was a focus and that she really was a big build and it felt like chris was um and that was kind of the issue there they should have done a lot to put a lot more focus and a lot more heat on ruby and i just felt like she was not really there and she did not get a ton of a focus so and then at the very end once she was in the final i felt like they started leaking this whole like oh you know don't you realize that this was the plan all along and and you know, clearly there's a big focus and it's important that Ruby gets over and this and that to where I think that they overdid it and to where it felt like they were telegraphing that Ruby was going to win, which I didn't feel like you then stole that from the fans so that people were then like, oh, well, clearly Ruby is going to win. That's the whole point is that they're building up to her getting her revenge on Brit and then she just loses. <laughs> so, yeah, I think. I get the argument and all that, but like you said, at the end of the day, this was about Martha Hart and the Owen, and the winner didn't really matter that much, um, and there wasn't anybody else you're going to put in here. Obviously, we've seen with what we're getting from the women's division um, on this show, we weren't really going to get um, anybody else in here who's going to deliver a better match. <laughs> like, unfortunately, <laughs> that sucks to say, but like... If they had swapped out Ruby for someone, I mean, maybe Chris, but I just feel like that's you couldn't really count on it as much as you can with Ruby. So it made the most sense to go with Ruby because that's like you're definitely going to get your best match um, if you're not going to bring in like a Joshi wrestler or something like that. Um, either way, follow this up with the trios match, um, American Top Team, Men of the Year, and uh, pa- Paige Van Zant versus... Sammy Guevara, <laughs> uh, Frankie Kazarian, and Tanara no, Conti. you guessed it, Frankie Kazarian. You oh you guess oh you guessed it. You have to say it like that, right? Um, I'm pretty like sure metal that, madman or something. That definitely got said. I'm not making that up. That yes, definitely yes, got no, said. No, right. no, no, it did, it did. Um, okay. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that's the <laughs> oh you, which is very good. Um, this match was. Interesting. A whole hell of a lot of fun. I, <laughs> I thought that the match itself was great. There is absolutely no cohesive narrative storyline. It's impossible to pick a, a baby face to root for. In it's the impossible to follow. <laughs> yeah, nothing makes any fucking sense. 
at all. Paige Van Zant is like a natural heel, but in this match she comes across like a babyface. Um, that's she's the like the only person in the match also that comes across as a babyface. Like, it's nuts, but tons of fun, bunch of cool spots, bunch of goofiness. You know, d- coming out dressed like Melis- Maleficent or whatever, and and doing the big like fucking swooping around on the outside with with the Sammy carrying tie and the hair, the fly, the double hair mares, the double flying hair mares. Like all that shit is just tons of fun. There's lots of action, like. This is just popcorn match. This is like, turn your brain off, don't worry about anything making sense, and just watch some fireworks. And it was good for that, you know? But otherwise, like, yeah. And another one where it's just like, I know that you want to get Paige Van Zant on pay-per-view and this and that, but this did not need to be here. This was like, really... Again, like I said, this is a popcorn match. It's fine enough, but when you're looking at a four-hour show, you don't need popcorn matches right you just really yeah. you just really don't um so yeah just uh yeah definitely one that, that did not necessarily be need to be on the show no I'm, I'm i'm with you there um i don't know what this is are they waving the white flag and admitting that they messed up with the sammy and ty thing and just like okay yeah we we, we messed up like we're, we're done we're done we're done fighting this yeah, then they still feel like they're treating scorp, scorp as a heel so I don't. This is such a weird thing. At the same, so it's hard for me to like, like do the whole like turn your brain off kind of thing, because I'm still just super confused at the at the end of it all. Like it was fun, it was funny. I like thing. I like things about it, but I think I was just. It, I was too confused. I think to be able to turn my brain off in that way. Yeah. No. That I I definitely get where you're coming from there. But yeah, this that was the only way that you could possibly enjoy this is to just watch for the flashing lights and the and the big spots and not not try to figure anything out because there's nothing to figure out here. Like you said, I think the be- the the most likely answer here is that there's nothing to figure out because what happened here is like they're just <laughs> waving the white flag, saying fuck it, saying we messed up, we're gonna just c- get this over with, tie up the loose ends, and then just like start over. And then hopefully I don't know where they go from here. But we'll I would say poor I would say poor Sammy, but it's like I like I don't feel bad for him. So I was like, wow, like how quickly the, he's fallen. <laughs> like, the worst. I mean, that's what happens when you tie your horse to Cody. Um, but uh, no, you know who feels the worst for me? The person to feel bad for here is Frankie Kazarian. Why did he have to end up with like you can't get another title shot? Like. They really, they went for broke on that. I mean, they probably wouldn't have given him another title shot anyways, but it's like, man is catching strays out here. Like, he didn't need to be lumped into that part of the stip just because they fucked up the storyline with Sammy and, and Scorpio. Like, why did Kazarian get thrown in and then also got like, and you can't get another title match. Like, what the fuck? Oh, um, my bad, but like, to go back to the MJF thing real quick. So, sure, sure. A, a, a concern that like our like, some of our friends have had is like, this leading to Tony being an on-screen character. And I suggested that, well, pardon, part, personally, I still believe I think Tony's smart enough to not do that. Like, I feel like he's proven himself enough, and when he was on screen, he did pull back, that he knows that he knows to not make himself an on-screen character, that I like to think he knows to not cross that boundary. So what do you think of Daniels being like, 
the stand-in or the vessel for a little mini feud between MJF and quote-unquote AEW management. Ah, well, thank you, because we mentioned this in the Slack, and it's perfect, because I, I should put this take out here where I do think it would be great that after all these years, Danielson, or Daniels, Christopher Daniels finally actually is the higher power. Um, he's <laughs> revealed as the higher power somewhere, um, and he pulls off the hood, and it was me. It was me all along. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I like it quite a bit. I think it's the perfect role for him. As I mentioned already to you in the Slack chat, he showed up on, on Dark um, with Kazarian, which is, that's why it's like a perfect time to bring this up. Um, they were like, oh, we're in SoCal. You know, it felt like it was just a for SoCal thing, and you're going to see something really SoCal. You know, Justin Roberts said that, and then uh, Frankie Kazarian came out, and then they brought out Danielson, or Daniels. God damn, Christopher Daniels. You know, I used to do that, too, back in the day when, like, you know. Christopher Danielson. Long <laughs> Christopher Danielson. I would mix up Chris, you know, Brian Danielson and, and Christopher Daniels. Like, everyone did, I think, back then. Uh, but it's been so long that it hasn't been an issue. But, yeah. Um, Christopher Daniels, like, finally, um, yeah, I think that would be a perfect role for him to be kind of the face of decision-making, and but just, like, really just the face of corporate. Doesn't have to do a ton of talking, but just comes out and, you know, yeah, is but, the, like, yeah, I mean, like even, Matt. Like, how Matt does an action, I think, would be perfect. Uh, I mean, even, even if he did do the talking, it's like, Dan, we've seen Daniels over, like, the last over many years. Daniels is a really good talker. So, like, yeah. instead, of, instead of putting TK on there and, try, and trying to like see if he has any charisma on screen use daniels use daniels as that vessel yeah and i think that a lot of people have lumped in the idea that any kind of authority figure on tv is bad and i don't necessarily know that it is you can do it right but here's the thing heel authority figure is bad so you can have an authority figure who's a baby face he's a legend he's an elder statesman he's you know a ma- especially a, a, now yeah, a, ma- that- a, ma- a matchmaker like the, like the matchmaker existed on yeah. On, on like in territories right of course you'd have someone and they're kind of when something needs to be said that's coming from the you know you'd have jj dillon come out and say like the championship committee has ruled on this and mm-hmm. that and it was like you know it was a de facto like authority entity but it wasn't they weren't involved in storylines they represented the company and they were not a heel they were a baby face and they just represented the authority and they tried to be as even as they could and give the fans what they want, not like just trying to fuck over the fans and the champ. And I think that you can do that well. And I think that Danielson, Christopher Daniels would be a good guy to do that, um, to do that for sure. Like easily could pull that off. And like I said, Matt, like how Matt does in action where like you could have one crazy ass story that leads to him being in a match because he's an actual wrestler. Um, as opposed to TK and then, like, the Vince McMahon thing. Uh, but you could also just never do that. And I would be happy if you just never did it. But at least if you did end up there, you end up there with someone who is a wrestler who can bump and knows how to, you know, wrestle. As opposed to someone who's not a fucking wrestler. Um, but like I said, the, the the goal would be to never have that happen. Um, but that said, I mean, I get why people are, are trepidatious about it. But it doesn't have to always be a bad thing. Um, and AEW has gone a long time without it. And where it becomes a bad thing is not just that you have a heel authority figure, but that you also use it to cover up for lazy storytelling and not booking things beforehand. But honestly, AEW has <laughs> really doesn't have the best like booking hygiene when it comes to stuff already. And a lot of times you get matches on the show that are not announced and you get matches on the show that are announced like just a couple hours before on Twitter. So what's really the difference between like 
having Christopher Daniels come out and say that a match is happening and having Tony Khan tweet it out like an hour before the show. Is that is that a huge difference? Not really. So yeah, to say like, oh, it's you it's lazy booking because you just like use that guy to make sense of stuff that doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, they already kind of do some lazy booking shit, so it's not a big difference. Um, in that regard, the, the real only issue would be just having it be a heel character. Um, and hopefully they don't do that part. Um, but yeah, moving on. Darby versus Kyle. I think, did you like this? I did. I, 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 okay. didn't, I didn't know this was on this was on the show. So I had been keeping up a rampage. So I didn't know this was on the, this got added to the show. Yeah, this was a, announced very late. Um, and yeah. No, this was, this was, this was really good. Like. You know, it's, 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 it sucks that we had to, like, have, uh, you know, matches that felt like TV matches, like Cole versus Joe and uh, Trio's match with the Men of the Year on the show, because this was, I would have liked to see this more time, because they beat the shit out of each other, and I love this, and I would love to see this get revisited. I'm not sure if it will be, but these two had really, really good chemistry. The suicide dive catch spot is maybe the best catch spot I've ever, I've ever seen. Like... Most of them look really clunky, and they do a second one here in this match with the coffin drop, and it looks and it looks awful. But the suicide dive one they did was incredible in this match, and I loved their chemistry together. Yeah, this was um, this was more of that Prince Devitt match, Kyle O'Reilly, the the late stage post undisputed era Kyle O'Reilly, you know ROH or. Uh, NXT, I was going to say ROH. I mean, he was good in ROH too, but uh, yeah, that not not linked to Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly that we got in NXT for a little bit coming back out. Um, PWG Kyle O'Reilly, the guy who I actually really was a big fan of. More of that. It, it really does feel like the only time that Kyle O'Reilly really stinks is when he's involved with Adam Cole, um, which is funny because, you know, Simon... A handwork review if you if you want to uh, check out his blog and see uh, his magnum opus as far as I'm concerned his deep dive into the into the pandemic era run of Vinnie Massaro which I think really um, expressed something that is important to me when it comes to wrestling and he talks about it as he goes through all the matches and I won't say that I had a big master grand plan for why I did what I did to, to, to commission this project, but I'm happy that it delivered something that really proves kind of a point that I've made for a long time in wrestling or that I believe for a long time in wrestling is that like, there's a ton of unsung heroes, especially in indie wrestling that are just like really good as hell, like really good, not really great, you know, and they don't need to be really great. They just really fucking good guys who always deliver you that three star match. Like I said, it could be two and a half. It could be you know two and a quarter to three star range every time, no matter who they're going out with. Insanely consistent, um, and uh, and yeah, it's funny that that Simon has such an issue with Kyle O'Reilly because I feel like the only times Kyle really sucks is when he's either tagging with or feuding with Adam Cole, um, and then when he's not with them, he's decent. And this is more of that good, you know, not. Not a, not buddies with Adam Cole style match. They beat the shit out of each other again. Like you said, this is something that feels like it should be on the pay per view. the The suicide dive catch into the the guillotine was like the best. Like this makes sense kind of catch. The coffin drop into the armbar is the best. This is going to piss off Corwu uh, catch spot. So I love it for that. Um, 
the fucking King Kong knee drop to the back of the head as the finish was yeah no back of the head that was like to the it was like I think it was to the ribs was it to the ribs it looked like it was like right to the back of the neck oh no yeah you're right no it was it was right in the in the ribs in the back there lower back that's a brutal fucking finish looked <laughs> great uh just yeah I thought that this kicked ass um yeah great match all around good stuff um. Women's title match, Thunder Rosa versus Serena Deeb. I put something out there, tweeted this out, but I really mean it. Like, this match could have main evented any territory, like, in the, you know, 60s, 70s, even through the early 80s, um, if it was two dudes, because, you know, women weren't allowed to main event back then. But, yeah, this was, like, an old-school territory wrestling kind of match. And I don't know that that kind of match necessarily gets over with modern crowds. But that said... I thought it absolutely ripped. Like the the aggression was there, the the story throughout the match was perfect. Um the yeah, like everything was super on point. There's like crispness, execution was insanely smooth. Like these felt like the two best wrestlers in the world going at it, just beating the shit out of each other. Um but again, it felt like it was like lost in time. It wasn't like insanely, insanely old school. It was still like very modern, but the psychology and everything else there just really had that. And Serena Deeb, I mean, the post and then the camera post, that spot setting up the big heat was so cool. That was such a neat thing. And Serena Deeb, very interesting, very smart when it comes to in-ring wrestling. Um, maybe not the smartest at picking um, spouses, but you know, whatever, not everyone's perfect. Um, but yeah, when it comes to in-ring wrestling and coming up with neat little stuff and, and one thing I love, and I, this used to be a thing that I used to love about, um, uh, Trevor, like the, 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 the ponytail, the bun, you know, like Serena Deep is always so in place. And when I saw her on dark, right, like, uh, it kind of, it stood out to me. I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, you know, like there's that deep thing where like she was in a more of a squashy match on dark with Sky Blue and Mia Yamashishida. Um, and like her hair stayed in place the whole way and it's perfect. Her bun was perfect and there was no problems. This is a bigger match against a legitimate opponent. So by the end of it, her bun is like frizzled and messed up. And like, she really feels like she's been through it. Right. And I love that. Cause like, that was like the Trevor thing. Like I said, like you could tell when Trevor really, once the match really got going, his hair would come out of the bun. I love that. Cause it's just like, it's a stupid little thing, but it's like, it's really showing like actually some change, some like physical representation. It's kind of like blood, you know, <laughs> like how blood really can like show you that something's happening. Like, having the hair actually get messed up with someone who, like, if she's having just a normal match against, like, whatever and not a real challenge, nothing really happens. Her bun stays perfect. But this one's a real fucking fight by the end of it. Her hair's looking all wild and crazy. Like, that kind of stupid little details I think are really cool. Um, that said, yeah, they beat the piss out of each other throughout this whole thing. Really long, but didn't feel super long. Like, yeah, this was... I thought this was really great. And... It just sucks because I still think that Thunder Rosa, even with something like this, may, and this might just be an AEW problem right now, is that they're just like their champions are not building reigns that feel epic and feel important. Even though they're having like good matches and all this stuff, it just like when we talked about coming into this, this just didn't have a bunch of buzz. It didn't have hype. I didn't feel like anything was happening. So then once it was over, it didn't feel like she really did anything. Even though it was a great match, it doesn't feel like Deeb like proved something and, and made something out of this and made something of herself and it's like really building up this championship and this title reign. It just it was a, a awesome match that I really, really enjoyed. 
I honestly could say like maybe second or third favorite match on the show. Um, actually, uh, you know what? My brain is a little foggy on that because when I watched it live, I had to leave and went back to watch the the three way tag match. So I kind of don't think of it as part of the main show. But looking back on it, yeah, so like fourth or fifth favorite match, which then makes it not that big of a thing to say, right? Um, but either way, um. I just think that they have a problem with their champions. Hangman was the same thing. I just felt like his reign didn't feel cohesive. And I'm kind of getting the same thing with with um, Rosa here, where the reign just doesn't feel... There's not like a narrative to it that makes it feel bigger than it is. Um, but what did you think of the match? I thought, it was, I thought it was very good. I thought that the crowd wasn't into them at first, and they had to, re- they had to work really hard in order to get the crowd back into the match. So... I thought, that was, I thought that was super admirable and like a testament to how hard they were working and everything. And I'm glad they were able to do that because like these are good workers. They're good. They're solid. So I was I was happy to see that the crowd started to give them more of a more of a fair shake towards like that middle portion finishing finishing stretch of the match. Um, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing that I don't think AEW oddly doesn't have. <laughs> great championship reigns at all other than Darby, I think. Like, it feels like the only, yeah. I guess if you want to, like, look at any of, like, like any like one of the Cody TNT title runs, but really, other than Darby, Darby and I think... Moxley. Mox, yeah, but then Mox yeah. did it during an era where there was no real crowd to feed off of, so that gets, so it's, yeah, yeah. so, like... And then Kenny's obviously is super like conflicting. So the only ones I think that are like I can really like stand on as far as being great reigns are like Darby with the TNT title, and I think Kenny and Hangman with the tag titles. Other than that, I don't feel super strongly about any of any of the reigns that have happened in AEW. And yeah. I, uh, I think it's weird. I, th- I feel like like they're they they've all been plagued by different problems, but it is, but it is an interesting thought in a in a very real one that this company, for how great they can be, sometimes doesn't know it doesn't still doesn't know a feel how to how to book their champions. Yeah, we might be able to see we might see something with Punk, um, which obviously spoiler alert for someone who's listening to this show somehow and hasn't watched the show yet, which is impossible. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, uh, maybe Punk can do it. I think that the Punk and FTR team really feels like a group of people who make being champion important. Um, but yeah, like, look at, like, Jade. Like, Jade's championship reign is a really good example of, like, what I think is, like, a major issue here is that, like, Jade feels like she's just doing the same thing now with the championship. Like, she's still just doing exactly what she was doing before. And, like, that just makes it hard to be like, okay, the, the title matters, you know? Because, like, you didn't do... You're not doing anything with the title that you wouldn't have been doing before. Um, and that kind of thing, it's just like, yeah, whatever. And then a lot of them, it's like, like I said, it miss, misses cohesion. I think, honestly, the best championship reign going into this pay-per-view at this point would have been jurassic express and people fucking hate them like people just do not like that team and want them to lose the title so bad but they're like the most like their reign actually kind of means something out of any of the champions in the company going into the show um 
But we'll get to their match after this next one, which, okay. So, Anarchy in the Arena, uh, the Blackpool Combat Club, and Eddie Kingston with Santana and Ortiz versus the Jericho Appreciation Society. Um, I think I'd have to say it feels cheap, but this had to be my match of the night. But I don't know if it's for you because I know that there's other matches that you liked quite a bit. Quentin, what did you think? Uh, it's close. It's close. It definitely is close. It's not for sure. But so I say it feels kind of cheap because of what it is. It feels a little bit like cheating to have something like this be your match of the night because it's really not a regular wrestling match at all. Of course, but then like we both like like drooled over Stadium Stampede the first one. You know what I mean? So like. If it's the match of the night, it's the match of the night. Like that's just like that's just what that's just what it is. I just had one that I liked probably just as much, but there is so much to like about this. Like with these with these type of matches, um, it's just all the different stuff you get. Like Eddie walking down with uh, I forget, what uh, what what's the other two guy's name that's not Angelo. Um. I know they call. Him, I know. About? I know. I know. Like he, like, like he, like Matt the, Menard. Yeah, and a, like, it, like, like, like him having like Matt's blood all over him. Um, yeah. like in what walking down with the gasoline with the with the gasoline can and all that and all that kind of uh, stuff and some of the gnarly stuff they were doing with like the turn with the turnbuckle and, and the ring equipment, hooking each hooking each other and the and the fire and the fire extinguisher and. Um, I mean, there's a pile so, driver on the ring steps. Yeah, pile, off the apron, pile the driver ring on the ring steps, steps using the fucking um, freight elevator uh, for for a, for a <laughs> yes. fight. Like the like the Daniel Garcia and Eddie Kingston stuff portion was like super intense and and felt like they were really beating the shit out of each other. Um, so there's a lot to like here. It's chaotic. It's fun. There's a lot of blood. The crowd is into it. Wild thing is playing for like fucking eight minutes. So yeah, that's great. That so that always adds to it. So I no, I love this. Uh, so if it's your match of the night, I don't think that's I don't think that's like wild or cheating at all. I think it it's, it's just that fun, that good, that well executed of a match. Yeah, I mean this is maximalist maximalism at its best. Like this is everything. Everything. This match has it all, man. And it's wild and chaotic and all over the fucking place. And it's hard to follow, but like, oh my god. Yeah, like, full goblin mode uh, Garcia, I think, is the best fucking thing ever. And not something that I wanted from Garcia, right? Like, like this whole, like, sports entertainment thing, like, Garcia being in sports entertainment and everyone being upset about that. But, like, we don't, we don't see this kind of stuff from... Garcia on the indies really like you know even if he was great he didn't give us a ton of wild fucking crazy all over the place brawls or something like what he does with um with Moxley on Dynamite like we don't get a ton of those kind of matches from him because people don't book aren't gonna book him for that right and like this is another thing why I love this match like this match is one of those like take something take something that people again if they're fucking just like really dull and don't get it that like can be stupid and can be this fucking like over the top bullshit whatever and then just completely turn that on its head and make it great people ragged on the internet for months and complained and bitched and moaned and even he complained about it in podcasts 
about the fucking hot dog cart and the mustard and the ketchup and the mustard. And John Moxley fucking pissed and moaned about WWE bullshit with the mustard. And oh my god. Okay, they do the hot dog cart here and the mustard is all over the fucking place. And people are losing their minds for it. People love it. People are saying it's so great. I saw people, oh, I would never think mustard. Oh, have you ever seen mustard in a wrestling match? When I saw people tweeting shit like that, I was just like, how fucking short is your memory? It was not 10 years ago. It was, you know, maybe three, four years ago. I don't know. How long ago was it that Moxley did the mustard bullshit in WWE and everyone said, that's so disrespectful. Oh, that's such bullshit. Moxley selling for mustard. I, oh, this stupid cheesy. No, no, it doesn't have to be cheesy. You know, the concession stand brawl going back to Memphis and shit was, like, fucking brutal and chaotic and violent. The shit does not... Just because... Like, don't ever poop on something just because of what it is. The reason why things suck is the way that they're presented. And when they're done right, like, they can be great. You know what was one thing that stood out to me and I thought it was very funny? Because, like, it's just such a silly little thing. But, like, I didn't see anybody else mention it. And probably because it, like, broke or fell or whatever. Is Jericho goes for the lion tamer on a table. And that's like a, people always talk shit about it, you know, like, especially like that the famous tag team match, the um, Triple H and um, and Stone Cold versus the two Chris's. And uh, and the, the, the lion tamer on the table that pulls uh, Triple H's quad, fucks him up and fucks up that whole storyline and all that. And people always like to joke, like, why is the lion tamer worse on the table, blah, blah, blah. He does it in this match, and no one fucking says a word. No one says, why is it worse? You know what I mean? They, everyone's just into it. They enjoy it. But goddamn, like like I said, you talk about maximalism. They did everything in this match. It's hard to even go through it. Um, one thing I loved is I remember when, when Brian first came into AEW, he said he kind of didn't want people to keep doing the yes chants, um, and he wanted to bring back the you're going to get your fucking head kick in chant, right? Um, which I don't know how much of it's a joke. You can never fucking tell with Brian. This guy, he's like the ultimate worker. People talk about MJF doing work shoots. I mean, Brian, who knows what's real and what's fake with this guy. Um, but the, when the crowd was really getting into the yes chance and all that stuff, it felt like he responded by shouting, now I'm going to kick this guy's head in. Like he really wants people to do the, you're going to get your head kicked in. And it's just not going to happen. That was a very special moment in, in the history of wrestling where that became a popular chant. And I just think it'll never happen again. Um, the finishing the the finish is fucking just brutal. The half crab, as I as I know that you're a fan of, <laughs> and the choke with the ropes for the finish was perfect here. Um, we haven't talked about it yet, but I think the uh, maybe we'll get into it in the main event. Um, but yeah, this was phenomenal, great stuff. But now, Quentin, I think I think I know. Okay, actually, do you want to talk about Roosh coming in, the end of uh, the. A O H or whatever the Andrade family office. Yeah, let's AFO. um. Yeah, let's uh. And Roosh. Roosh coming in. Yeah, I mean, like, um, for as long as Andrade's been in there, and Roosh has had his problems with R O H. You could like, it wasn't a, it wasn't a secret that they that they were trying to figure this out. Um, yeah. I just hope that Roosh is on his best behavior. I just know that that's not a thing. <laughs> I know that there's there is a name. The reason why that faction is called what it is is because Roosh 100% cannot be governed. This guy, his best behavior is still being just fucking terrible. So <laughs> I think it's poison and it's bad. It can be bad for the company. I think that 
what we're going to end up with is the ROH version of what do they call a La Faction El Ingobernable with like mm. fucking Bestia 666. But if this is a way to get Dragon Lee into the company more, that could be a positive. Yeah, um, if you're telling me that this can lead to Andrade, Dragon Lee, and Roosh all together, you know what? Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah, that's a plus. Um, if we do something like get like you know some of the uh, Lij guys over to be part of it too, that would be fun. Do stuff with the the New Japan crossover and 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 the yeah. So it's not the worst. It won't be the worst thing in the world. But when we end up with like Bestia six 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 joining Chaos Project or whatever, I'm not gonna be uh or oh, I'm sorry. Is that even his dad? No, no. <laughs> no you think, is you're, it? You're thinking of Piero. Okay, okay, yeah. I'm trying to think of what the fuck. Who is uh, Roosh's dad? No, yeah, Piero. Yeah, yeah, Piero. Oh, okay, that's it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so having him uh, having him end up uh, having him, him ending up tagging with Chaos Project would not be the best thing in the world. Um, Bestia is Damien's kid, right? Yeah. Uh, either way, I think uh, this is, I think, maybe your match of the night, Quentin? The, the three-way tag team match? Oh, no, 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 no. No? I, okay. No, you liked was, this quite a bit. I did like this. I thought this was really fun, but it's not like... I. It becomes super glaring every pay-per-view. The Jungle Express is just... I mean, Jurassic Express. I keep calling them Jungle Express. Sure, like, sure. Uh, the Jurassic Express is just not that good. Like, I like Jungle Boy. Luchasaurus is fine for what he is. But, like, come on. You're... You're the you're a team. You're the two guy. The four guys that are in the ring with are Shane Strickland, Keith Lee, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Ricky Starks. Like, like goddamn man. Like they look like nerds. They look like complete fucking dorks compared to compared to these guys. Like it just it's just it's just super glaring. And they won the title, and it was a cool and it was a cool moment, and it was the right decision at that point in time. But I think it's one of those things, like, I feel like, I feel like people like to say something failed if it cools off. I think that sometimes the right thing is, here, here's the title win, here's the moment, that's it, that was the moment, or that win was the moment. Like, I always talk about Hanma. Hanma, during his peak run... The reason why it worked was because he was losing. Once he starts winning, it doesn't matter anymore. And these fucking idiots who had who had all these different things to say about New Japan, like Hanma should do this, Hanma should do that. You're an idiot because as soon as Hanma starts winning, Hanma isn't special anymore. That's the whole thing. That's the whole point. And I think that's the reality of some wrestling acts where they get over, but it's not because you want to see them like all the time and be fucking world beaters they're over we want to see them have their moment and then like okay cool okay okay we're ready to move on now and i think that's jungle and i think that's jurassic express and i know with jungle boy there's more plans for there's more plans for the future with him and i think that he is like very talented and will eventually be ready for that whenever they go forth with that but when you're in the ring with Swerve and Keith Lee and Ricky Starks and Hobbs, they just, it, it's glaring how uncool they are. It's glaring how, like, like the level below that they, that, uh, that, the, how, how they feel. 
And it's a good match, but their stuff is the worst bits of it. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that sure. it is. Sure. I mean, that's a, that's a bitter pill to swallow, but you're probably not wrong there. Um, I'm like, as you talk about it with the four, the four other guys in it, the first thing that popped in my head was like, Powerhouse Hobbs, what the fuck are they doing with this guy, man? This is like, talking about the Wardlow stuff, like, Powerhouse Hobbs should be at the top of the card. This motherfucker is ready. He's insanely good. He stands out. Huge star. Then I'm like, his tag team partner, Ricky Starks, is just as fucking good. Like, he he's just as big of a star. Like, probably a bigger star. Better talker. Stands out insane. We've seen... I've been watching Ricky Starks long enough to know that he can fucking go when it comes to wrestling. He'll give you whatever match you want. He'll give you fucking major epic main events if you need it. Like... And then you've also got Shane Strickland and Keith Lee who are just, like, ready to fucking go, like, any moment. This tag team feels like such, like, a holding place, whatever. Um, And then, again, the same thing with Jungle Boy. But, like, I'm just, like, when you look at the level of talent that you have against them, I'm not saying cut bait on Jungle Boy, but, like, I, I don't know this idea that, like, you've got big plans for him in the future. Like, based on what? You need to start thinking about motherfuckers who are producing right now. This promotion has too many people who are showing you that they're ready to produce right now that your future plans need to be thinking about pushing them. Especially when you talk about these four guys that are in this match against the Jurassic Express. Like, the future of this company needs to be, what are we doing with these guys? Not Jungle Boy. I'm sorry, but like... That ship has passed. That was the idea years ago when the Jungle Boy MJF feud and we talked about it and how I liked this idea that this company has this generational rivalry that continues on for years and years down the line as they move up the card. This is a different company now. This is not the company that it was back then where we had years to do with that kind of stuff. We are now in a company where you've got four amazing fucking superstar level athletes that you're sticking together into tag teams that don't feel like they need to exist just because you don't have anything else to do with them. And that's kind of a problem. Yeah, at some, point, when, at some point, it's like we like, like, it's like the kind of reality talked about with, uh, with Proud and Powerful. Yeah, they were originals, and that's cool and all, but other better people showed up. <laughs> And like, yeah, it's a, it's I mean, a, and, and sometimes you have to like it's not it's not wrong to change course because of that. Well, especially because you've got these guys in this holding pattern, losing in the end to this team that feels like it just honestly just shouldn't even be on the show. And I hate to say that because I li- I think the Jungle Boy has gotten insanely good at the kind of wrestler that he wants to be. You know, I think the Jungle Boy is in that lane that, like, we used to and still talk about Nick Jackson, where it's not really appreciated just how good of a flyer he actually is. When it comes to the rope walking and the little trick shit that Jungle Boy can do, he is so fucking nimble and so goddamn quick and so good at this shit and doesn't have really ever any issues that I think that it's overlooked just really how quality he is. It's overlooked because all, the only fucking thing anybody talks about with Jungle Boy 
is like, oh, the potential. Oh, he's gonna be, they're gonna do something with him. Oh, this and that. But, like, no, like, focus on that he's actually a kick-ass wrestler right now. And, like, kind of go with that. (laughs) Don't talk about, like, oh, he's a future big-time star and this and that. Like, put him in the TNT title picture. And just let him have some really fucking crazy matches with those kind of guys. Like, a Scorpio Sky versus Jungle Boy match, I think, would be would go fucking crazy right now. But instead, you're doing this, and as you said, it feels like such a fucking... It feels like a waste, because on top of that, you've got these two great tag teams that one of them should have won the fucking titles. <laughs> and then maybe it would feel more like these teams actually matter, and it wouldn't feel like just thrown together guys being wasted. Um, if they actually had the titles, and you did something with them. That said, this match was fucking nutty. This match just would not stop with the insanity. We kept kind of hoping that at some point they would slow down so I could catch my breath, but they refused. Um, yeah, this was nuts. And as you said, I mean, I guess the Jungle Boy, the Jungle Express stuff, or the Jurassic Express stuff, see, Quentin, see what you did to me. I'm um, sorry, but Jurassic, like, it's, it's, <laughs> I know, I know. Jurassic Express stuff was the worst stuff of it, but, like, that's, I mean, by a very hard-to-even-notice margin, but either way, like, yeah, this was fucking crazy all the way through. These guys, everyone in this match, I think, is really, really fucking good. Even the even the dinosaur. Luchasaurus, I think, is, like, really good, and people just love to, like... People either love to, like, love him as a meme or love to hate on him because he's a meme and overlook that just, like just without the mask he's actually really good at what he does like you know whatever like it's goofy and it's not i'm not saying he's great just like when i said the jungle boy jungle boy has become very good at the kind of wrestler he wants to be you know why i said it that way is because i don't like that kind of wrestler i don't like rope walking high flying really super like fucking lucha intricate stuff but like jungle boy is very good at that like you can't say that he's not like this guy is like really gifted at that kind of wrestling match. I think it I think it kind of sucks sometimes and like because he does mostly tag team matches, you don't see a lot of the major issues which come down to like a lot of times there isn't a ton of of uh, psychology and and not a lot of selling, but he takes some big bumps and you know, he does some really neat little spots and uh I just think that the real test will be seeing if he can pull off some better matches. And we've seen him have some good matches. You know, we've seen him have some singles matches that actually had something a little bit more to it. Um, so maybe eventually we get there with him, but, uh, but yeah, you know, all right, main event. So now I'm thinking this has got to be your match of the night, Quentin, the main event, yeah. CM Punk versus <laughs> Adam yeah, Page. It, um, it really is. The finish. Even with the, even with those punk shot lariats. <laughs> no, I like, I like that because I, I actually really like, I actually like that a lot. Oh, this is the punk. Okay. Yes. This was, I forgot this. It's been a very long time since ROH punk. Where the uh, the argument for for punk is that the reason it's actually good that he sucks because it's part of the punk character <laughs> no, no, is that he's not athletic. No, 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 I'm fucking with you. No, I know. It's like that I actually like because the punk shot Larry's fucking hard to do. Like, who the yeah. fuck did CM Punk at like 41 years old think he is trying to do that shit? Like, come, like, come on now. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. I, like, I, like, I, I love, I love that. I love that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, man. I thought the Hangman was brilliant in this match. I thought he was incredible. I thought he was just as good as he was in the Danielson matches. I thought it was that kind of a performance for him. Um, yes. And it's a shame 
that it feels like his, his reign is ending and is going to be remembered in negative ways because I feel like he did nothing but have great performances the whole time. Like he was, he was great. He was great the whole time. And I think that this was just as good as any of the stuff that we saw him do versus Danielson in terms of an individual performance. Punk was great. Punk is a punk is great as always his timing, his pacing, his understanding, his structuring of things, the ways, the ways interacting with the audience pages intensity, the way he like just the fire in his eyes and everything that we're, everything that we see there. Like it's all a great total package. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed the match. Pages knee selling down the stretch. I loved it. Seeing Punk actually throw some like pretty stiff shots at one point. Like yeah, it's there's a, there's a lot to like here. Um, the one thing I do have a little bit like I think the finish made it a little flat, but I think they are protecting Hangman way more than people care to admit. Um, is I think what happened there. And I also have my own theory as well, but um, you can tell me your general thoughts on the match before, match before I get into my theory uh, okay. about Punk going forward. Okay. Well, okay. So, this was my second favorite match of the night. So, I'm pretty close to you with you on that. Um, it was tough for me watching it because Hangman loses and... I really, I really, you know, sunk my heels in and really truly believed that there was no way that this is the way that they were going to go with the storyline. Um, and in the moment I was upset and I'm still honestly kind of upset, but you know, whatever. That's not the point. That's not the point of why I watch wrestling or why we watch wrestling or why we do podcasts. And all. I don't watch this shit just to get what I want. Um. I watch it because I have a brain sickness that makes it impossible for me to ever stop watching wrestling. I don't know what happened, but at some point, um, it became like a physical dependency where I can't stop. Um, so yeah, that said, I'm with you. I thought that the subtle heel stuff from Hangman here was great. I think that the subtle heel stuff through and babyface stuff throughout this entire this entire um, feud has been really, really intriguing and interesting to watch. But I felt like this was the wrong way to blow it off because AEW doesn't do automatic rematches and doesn't do, we're just going right back to it. Um, you end up on Dynamite with basically Punk, you know, going into something completely different and Hangman not showing up even at all. So I just think that a Hangman win here or any kind of other finish that comes across a little bit less, you know, I don't know, we just, I don't even know where this finish really leads you, and it feels like it just ends up leading you to nothing between them, and I feel like that's my biggest issue with that part of it, because the storyline has had so much weirdness to it that I want to continue it, and this finish doesn't feel definitive, but AEW kind of does this, and then takes a little diversions, and then we'll maybe come back to it, and I think that's part of what makes reigns title reigns and everything about this company when it comes to these kind of stories not hit as hard it's not necessarily that they do slow builds but that they do too many diversions and they take too much time off between things um but yeah i mean 
phenomenal performance from Hangman, and not even, as you talked about comparing it to the Danielson stuff, not even the same kind of performance as the Danielson match. This actually showed, like, a very different side of Hangman. A lot more confident, a lot more, a lot less, like, trying to prove that he's on Punk's level, and a lot more, um, kind of dominant, but aggressive, like I said, a lot, the heel kind of side of things, um, and really just kind of more conflicted with his with his place in the world as opposed to his place in the match um which i think is definitely like a very unique setting to to do with that i think one of my major issues would be as you talked about like punk was was great in here and we got some of that punk stuff but i felt like this is the most that punk has been out of his element in a while um, not even just something like the, the, the fucking of the punk shot lariats, but again, the pacing, the spots, the psychology, the style of the match. Um, punk has been very slow, methodical, in control. And again, it's part of the story, but it hurts the quality of the match for me because I think that punk has been having the best matches in the company by doing really old school, slow, methodical psychology based matches um, and this was just a little bit less of that from Punk. Um, again, doesn't hurt it insanely because I still would put this as like my second favorite match of the night um, on a show that, like you said, was really good. But I wouldn't necessarily. I think I'm a little bit more down on the show overall than you are, um, based on just kind of your opinion of it. But yeah, so so that's kind of my 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 negatives on it. Um, and I guess now will be the time before you get into your theories. Uh, now will be the time that I bring it up because I kind of referenced it earlier, but the, uh, I guess the, the WVP, the worst, uh, valuable player or whatever the, of the night, the shout out has to go to the, the sharpshooter because nobody <laughs> on this show <laughs> was able to do a good sharpshooter. Um, and this is why Dean Malenko started doing the Texas Cloverleaf, right? Because <laughs> if you don't have long enough legs, you can't do a sharpshooter well. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that. And, uh, there's very few people who pull it off. Right. But it's a, it's a, it's a physical thing. And that's the problem I think that people have is they don't want to accept that. Like the problem is not like, you know, just doing it or whatever. It's like, you have to physically be able to do the move, um, with how long your legs are compared to your opponents. And if it doesn't work right, if, if both the people in the match don't have long legs, it's going to look stupid. Um, so yeah, you end up with like a lot of shitty looking sharpshooters here. Um, so yeah, that said, Quentin, let's hear about this, the, this theory of yours. I want to hear about the secret plan, uh, that you think is going on. So I just think that if you look at Punk's last two big matches on AW pay-per-views, the MGF dog collar match in this match. So yes, MGF won their first match, not conclusively with the ring, with the cheating, but for a babyface, if you look at the way Punk won, obviously that wasn't the most clean way to win a match because ultimately it came from the fact that MJF was relying on Wardlow and eventually was distracted by Wardlow's lack of help. And not Punk just ending MJF clean as a sheet, no distraction, nothing. That's just not what happened. And then you look here, to this match and only reason punk wins is because hangman gets preoccupied 
with his morality and uh, with his with his values and judgment about whether he should use whether he should use the uh, the title to his advantage or not while the while the ref was down and he had Punk dead to rights and could have just hit a finish on him and waited for the referee to come out waited for another referee to come out or whatever but did not and all the hesitation gave Punk the opportunity to hit the GCS and win but those are two instances where Punk in these big matches did not necessarily win it under his own power. So I'm wondering if in that way, this is what's setting up the quote unquote summer of punk or whatever of punk he'll run because I don't know. I look at these things and it's not like he's winning in the most baby face fashions, most walking tall baby face fashions possible. So when you look at Eddie Kingston and MJF and Hangman have been saying the same things about him. When you look at how these big MJF and Hangman matches ended, this is what you see. Yeah, I think I think it plays into somewhat like something Punk mentioned in his his promo after his match on uh, Dynamite, where he said like, "This title means I need to keep getting better." Um, I think that. The reaction that Punk has in his face, the emotion that he shows when he wins the title, um, right? It's it's Punk, so it's tough because it's like I don't know if Punk is the best actor in the world or if he's just the most just like authentically emotional guy ever. But like in the history of being a, a CM Punk fan, which is very long for me and for you as well. Um, this guy just wears his heart on his sleeve in a way that's like really hard to compare to a lot of other wrestlers. The emotion that you've, that we get out of punk constantly from his entire career is like really fucking deep and there's a ton there. So, and again, like I said, I don't know if he's just an amazing actor or if this shit is real, but like, I think of like, you know, the last night in ROH and the crying there, the crying on the Chris Benoit tribute show that, you know, is that shit fake? <laughs> the face that he makes here, like how much you get out of him, the pipe bomb itself, like the, the, the emotion that you get from him. And that's why <laughs> I think that's why part of why, like so many people are gaga for the MJF thing. And I'm just like, it was really good, but like, <laughs> it's not punk. Punk is kind of a one-in-a-lifetime, one-in-a-generation level talent when it comes to that. Because, like I said, if it's acting, this guy should be winning Academy Awards. And if it's real, um, you know, it's insanely compelling how well he is able to harness his real-life emotions um, into shit that, like, really becomes engaging and and intriguing. Um, Because I heard someone describing that. They were talking about acting... I don't remember where this was, but it was just recently. And it actually really suit, really fits. It's like people, a lot of people think that acting is like giving a real world reaction to something on film. But that's not true because, you know, there's like um, events, there's events that happen. And like when you see the real life way that people react, it doesn't give you what you would predict. Like, I can't remember what the example that they made was, but there was some really catastrophic events that happened. And they said, like, every picture of the audience was just people with their mouths wide open, like literally every person in the crowd with their mouth agape. 
so much so that like when someone saw it that was like you know a, 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 a media person they were like oh that looks fake you know but it was real life like and that's the problem like acting is not about conveying what how people would actually act acting is about conveying um a reaction that people want to see being done by someone that they find intriguing and that's why cm punk is such an amazing actor because um he gives you the reaction that you want to see and he's insanely intriguing um and then also on the other side of it like maybe it's just the real guy but that would be nuts so it's just like i don't get that from from mjf like i just it's not the same thing right but again punk is very very unique um that said his his promo after the match i just i don't know if this motherfucker's ever going heel i think i look at i look at his career i look at his scrum he says he's the first, this is the first time he's ever felt comfortable as a baby face but this is still cm punk we're talking about right and i'm like even if i think it's totally possible that it could just be a thing where all these aw guys are paranoid in that punk like it like it just storyline wise that all these aw guys are paranoid and punk really just has no intentions of whatever they're what whatever insidious thing they're talking about but it's been three straight stories like this yeah yeah and it's punk and it's punk and you know that like he's a snake right he's a snake so you expect that at some point it's going to turn. It has to. It has to turn. But also at the same time, he's been he's been so good at this. And I just... I want to believe. I really want to believe in Punk at this point. And <laughs> I think that's a so good thing, tough. though. That like, like, you're yeah. going to believe in him. So when he, so when he does turn, it's going to be gonna like... It's going to be even worse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Like... Again, like I said, this is a once-in-a-lifetime talent. This is a person who, even before the AEW run, I've been on this podcast talking about that I believe that he should 100% be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care what Hall of Fame we're talking about at this point. But, like, any Hall of Fame, CM Punk belongs in it. And this run, I mean, how do you... How do you watch this run and not say that this is not one of the best wrestlers who's ever existed? With the quality of his matches and the quality of his character, this is a once in a lifetime, once in a generation, once, and I mean, once in the history of fucking wrestling. How many wrestlers really execute the stuff that I was just talking about when it comes to that acting, when it comes to that showing that emotion on a compelling figure's face? Are there really any wrestlers who do it better than Punk? Everything this motherfucker does feels 100% authentic. I think. You know, Eddie Kingston is in that conversation, but Punk has been doing this for so fucking long. Eddie's been doing it for a long time, too. But, like, god damn, this guy is so good at this. Where everything he does feels 100% real, but, you know, hyper real, I guess you could say. You know, it's it's that, like, above and beyond just real life. It's it's seeing the, the what feels right happening from the most compelling man in the history of fucking wrestling. I love this guy. I love CM Punk. I really do. I always have. I always will. Um, but yeah, like that's why it's so weird that I was so dug in with my heels on the idea that he shouldn't win the title, right? And that's yeah, why it's, it's like, so weird to it's, be it's like, it's, how it's upset like, I was. It's like we were go- we were going against our hearts for just what what yeah. what, what what made sense. Like we're like that's what usually how I do with productions. It's like I'm going with what I think makes sense. Like and to me, what makes sense is well, no, like Hangman should be able to say that he beat both CM Punk and Brian Danielson. He should be able to say that. Yeah. Like, that's what makes sense in my head. But at the same time, it's like, 
Do I think that Hangman should be the champ over CM Punk? No, I love CM Punk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I just, and then when it happened, and I just want to be like, ah, I wanted to be right. Um, so I dug my heels in, but it doesn't matter. We got Punk as the champion. It makes sense. Dude, he fucking Punk walked away from champion. WWE in January yeah. of 2014. And like, so much time has passed. So much time that he could have spent wrestling has passed. He's gotten older. All these things, and to come back and like, we talked about it like we talked about it like uh, plenty in twenty twenty one, but to come back and still like be that good and maybe even gotten have gotten better, yeah, in some ways. It's like it's like this. What he's what Punk is doing isn't normal. No, it's not. It would. <laughs> It wouldn't be shocking to say, okay, Punk at this point in his career is the best he's ever been, um, just, you know, linearly if he had continued to do it. But yeah, the fact that he took all that time off, didn't wrestle at all, and then somehow came back and is better than he's ever been is fucking insane. And he hit the ground running as if he hadn't, not as, I was going to say as if he hadn't taken time off. No, like, he wrestles now as if he had been wrestling the entire time. He yeah. is so smart that he seems like he was still wrestling the whole time. He does, He's not like he was before. He feels like he has the experience of someone who's been wrestling for fucking, whatever, 30 years, 20 years, 40 years at this point. This guy, he's so goddamn good. It's it's insane. And then, like I said, the character stuff has never changed. Um, so, I don't know. Punk turning heel, I just... I don't want to predict it. Here's the thing, and you're right because you said it. I don't want to predict it because I don't want to see it coming. I want it to surprise me, so I'm going to let it just happen when it happens, and I'm going to just enjoy the ride. And that's, I think, what makes the most sense for me. Um, Dynamite. You watched it. I was there live. My live reports are that like I don't like arena shows. I don't like big shows like this. I don't even know it's a for- the forum. I don't even know what they call it. Um, it's not for me. I'm happy that in like two weeks range, I'm going to see Prestige. I'm going to see Lee Moriarty versus um, Takeshita, Takeshita, uh, Soup, if you know um, the Cinnabon guy, as far as Alicia is concerned, which I find very funny. Um, and I didn't even know that they're making that the main event of the show. I thought that, that was just a match on the on the card, but it's now the main event, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, I guess it's two AEW talents um, going off. But yeah, that's my biggest takeaway from being in, uh, at the show live was that like, I don't like this kind of show. I don't like TV wrestling. I don't like um, big, big buildings like this. I um, when I went to the Cow Palace, I intentionally tried to get the furthest up as you can get. I like that's kind of my vibe. So I got like I actually got like the last row, the top of the fucking thing is like far up as I could, um, which was nice. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just not for me. Um, but I feel like we talked about a lot of the important stuff that happened here. So I don't know how much you want to hit on the rest. Uh, I think we're fine other than just saying Mox versus Garcia was good. Like you know, that was, yeah, it was that a was, great match. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was really that was really good. Other than that, I think we hit the important uh dynamite stuff. Yeah. Punk um Punk and Tanahashi is exciting. I did there's one thing I wanted to to mention. It's in the opening match, the trios match. Uh 
FTR and Punk versus uh, the Ass Boys and Max Caster is that, uh, you know, Max came up with MJF and um, and trained at the Creative Pro. Um, and, you know, he's good on the mic. He's another one. It's funny because on MJF's shoot promo, he mentioned like all the fans who now say that he's a good wrestler and they, and Quentin, you have to, you have to know, you have to give me credit for, I've been saying that MJF is a better wrestler than people give him credit for since even before we did a podcast together. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? That was, yeah. yeah, that was, yeah you, you were, you, you've been saying that forever. Yeah. So it's very funny to have him call that out where he's like, oh, you know, well, now everyone says I'm good when before you used to say I suck. And I'm, I've been saying that. It's also funny to know certain things he says in there, which is like, yeah. OK, you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Max Caster, he's cut from the same cloth. It's funny. The two the two creative pro Maxes are the same kind of guys. And one thing that has stood out to me is that how much heat and how. Like how popular the ass boys have gotten on dark and stuff, and the little bit of buzz that they get on the internet. And Max Caster, when his partner went out injured, he did the smart political move, which is that he got himself hooked up with the ass boys. So yeah. I'm just gonna say Max Caster doesn't get the credit for being as smart politically as he is. And it's just a pairing that makes sense. It does. It's perfect. They all fit together, and the promo. The, okay, so the the, the pre intro, rap. The intro was fantastic. I loved that. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, so yeah, and that was fun, and that was a great way to open up the show. So yeah, yeah, I just uh, I just want to give a shout out to Max Caster, smart, very smart wrestling mind, and a guy who gets overshadowed by someone like MJF, and and you know in general. But I think I've said it a long time. I think fucking phenomenal, and seeing him here live in this big setting actually really sells what i've always said for a while now is that like it's super impressive because he's max caster from creator pro that me and you have seen for a very long time um because we did have like a little bit of a connection to creator pro we used to watch the student shows i don't know if you watched them but he used to hear about the student yeah. shows from old uh old no, no, like, the... yeah, like i said like we like we had a friend that was a train that, that, that came up from the school so we we're yeah. we're aware of these... with these guys yeah we're, we're aware yeah. of all these guys <laughs> Yeah, and to see him here, and for the way, the shit that Max Caster has gotten in the past, like, this motherfucker wrestles big. Like, for the arena show on TV, he was insanely great. So I just, I think Max Caster gets overlooked for how good he really is for the role that he he fills. He's the best fucking TV jobber that this company has. Like, bumps huge, sells gigantic, cuts those promos to come out so he stays over. Like it, he's a big win because he's always over. He and, he and he makes everything look great. Like yeah, and seeing him live really just put that over the top for me. Just just how good he is wrestling in a big building like this. Like goddamn, like he's he's phenomenal. Like he really is very good at this kind of wrestling. And this is not like necessarily a ton of people's favorite kind of wrestling, myself included. I don't love like a big arena wrestling. Like I said, I don't even want to fucking go to another show like this. Um, and I don't really watch a ton of TV. But yeah, like that was another thing that was really glaring about the live experience is, man, when the music would hit and the little symbols would show up on the screen, people would go crazy. Like they knew exactly who it was. And I'm like, damn, dude, like I, I have no fucking idea. Like I do not watch wrestling like this anymore. I don't watch TV wrestling and know the music and, and know the symbols and know who it is based off that stuff. But yeah, like Max is great at this, at this kind of wrestling. Um, so yeah, just a, another guy who I think gets overlooked for how good he is at this um otherwise yeah the rest of the show whatever you know it is what it is miro coming back is really cool i guess we should talk about that 
Um, but his first match back was with Johnny Elite, Johnny uh, Mundo, Johnny, uh, God, Johnny Nitro. John, just, just Johnny everything. John Morrison, John Hennigan, you know who he is. But yeah, that's not a great first match, but Miro fucking rules. I was excited to see Miro back, so that's about it. Otherwise, Quentin, um, what else do we want to dig into? Best of the Super Juniors. All right, night <laughs> 10. Uh, no, Quentin, you want to say goodnight? You want to talk about anything else? Uh, no, I'm great. I'm great. I'm probably fine on closing this out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at Bone Dog's Wife. You can follow the podcast network at D, uh, WDKWPN. And if you're so kind, you could donate to uh, to Coffee and uh, pay pay for me pay for me and Tim to go on vacation. We really should go on vacation. We really should go on vacation. Uh, I've been watching Grey's Anatomy lately. Don't ask me why. And it's renewed my vigor. It's, it's renewed my vigor to go to Seattle. So if you want to fund if you want to fund my trip to uh, fund my trip to Seattle, then uh, donate to that donate to the to the coffee link. Otherwise, thank you all for listening, and hope you're here next time.